Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob here, getting ready to kick off Talking with T-Bird Season 2, talking with Tom Westman. Big podcast here today. Want to quickly thank a sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are friends over at Bet Online with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB. You might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing the Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on, and NASCAR is back. If you're into entertainment betting, you can bet on that, stock prices, the weather, and the Nathan's hot dog eating contest too and if you're an MMA fan UFC 250 is coming up June 7th make sure to stay tuned to this podcast to hear former MMA star Chael Sonnen and Bet Online's Dave Mason talk about all things UFC 250 including all latest betting lines that is going to be at the tail end of this podcast after we're all done with talking with T-Bird and Tom Westman here today at the end of the podcast if you want to hear that all open 24 hours a day and all online Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Podcast One. Bet online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Take it away, Will from America. If you stay here and listen. Your life will never be the same Cause we're talking with T-Bird now And this T-Bird you cannot change Oh, this T-Bird you cannot change And things might get Yes, Talking with T-Bird Season 2 is here. How are you, T-Bird? Hey, Rob. Okay, me too then. I'm doing great. <laughs> I cannot believe that we are on Season 2. I didn't know if this would be something, a real thing that we'd take after Season 1, but we have. It has been approved by you. I'm so I'm so thrilled and excited. And this is what I keep thinking. When you said, yeah, let's go ahead and do season two, talking with T-Bird, I thought, how are we going to improve on season one? How are we going to do how it? How are we? I think we're off to a great, great start. Yes. We're off to a great start. Because, we're on fire. Yes. We're on fire. Well, we we're coming in We have an amazing guest. We're coming in hot. A legendary guest. Uh, maybe the biggest guest yet here on Talking with T-Bird, because uh, I never thought... We would track down the winner of Survivor Palau, Tom Westman. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then again, I have to point this out. When you gave me the list yet last year for season one of players you really, really wanted, he was the first male that you had yes. given me yes. that you wanted. So I've been wanting him so badly. So, yes. Okay. All right. So we've got a really, really good one. And T-Bird uh, allegedly has more names in the hopper. We're going to be back on talking with T-Bird. If you're just joining us for the first time, 
T-Bird Cooper is the bounty hunter of Survivor Podcasting. We have given her a list of people that are rather hard to track down. And she is uh, working day and night on tracking down these people to bring you hard-to-find Survivor interviews here on Talking with T-Bird. So that's what we're here to do. And uh, T-Bird, is everything's going okay by you? Yep, everything's going great. Um, any suggestions the listeners want to give, and, and I've had so many, and I've mentioned before, I've got a list, and I've got a little tally sheet, and I check them when I get, you know, so don't think that that, that does not go, that I'm not paying attention to that, because I am. I've got my RHIP starter kit right here. I'm ready to go. I've got my eight ball. I've got my podcast bail. I've got my bo- bottle of water, and I've got my popcorn, popcorn that I'm not supposed to have. Popcorn that I'm not supposed to have, but I've got it here because now it is a crutch. It is support. No, it's not a crunch. It is a crunch, but it is a crutch it because crunch. I have to have yeah. it here. It's just part of the of the starter kit. It's part of it's part of the starter kit. So I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this. I've missed you. This is I've, I've missed, missed you, you a too, lot. T-Bird. I think we did something. We talked. We we talked to Vesepia in I think yeah, January, January before Winners at yeah. War started. Yes. So it's been it's been too long. It's been too long. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are going to get Tom Westman on the line. We are not going to take a break uh, the whole way through. So let me thank a sponsor here before we get into that. Those are my friends over at Brook Linen. Uh, you know Brook Linen as the internet's favorite sheets and the favorite sheets of the bad boy of podcasting, but they're also home to bedding, loungewear, towels, and more with over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. I love my Brooklyn in sheets that they are my favorite sheets. I have two sets. I have one that Brooklyn in sent me to try out, and then I love them so much that my wife got me another set for Christmas. I want to get another set because uh, one of our patrons, Ethan, said that, oh, it'll be better that your wife won't be able to steal the covers from you because I complained about that. You should get king size <laughs> sheets on a queen size bed. I was like, okay, that's great. I got to get king size sheets now from Brooklinen so my wife can't steal them because she wants to be wrapped up in a cocoon. Uh, They are so cool to sleep in now that the weather is getting hot, that they have luxury products at a low price. And uh, it is uh, the changes the whole outlook that I have on on the whole day. When my kids aren't waking me up, I can sleep in my bed with Brooklinen sheets because Brooklinen was the first direct-to-consumer bedding company that they work directly with the manufacturers and directly with the customers. It's all luxury products without the luxury markup. They've moved beyond the bedroom now to offer bathroom and life essentials too, like towels that are super plush and ultralight, shower curtains, bath mats, robes, and candles to add that extra lavish touch, T-Bird, and ultra soft loungewear making you feel like you never left your bed, silk eye masks, robes, furniture, art, and totes, fine little details that make up your big upgrade Brooklinen.com is the perfect place to start making small changes that make big differences. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, loungewear, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. Go on, make yourself comfortable. Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code ROB only at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life, or as I like to say, no sleep till Brooklinen. How about that, T-Bird? Oh, that's great. Hey, look, Ethan had a great idea about getting uh, ordering 
king size sheets for your queen size bed. Yes. Ethan, brilliant. That's hey, a- let me ask you this. What color? I got to ask. So I guess obviously the first lady of podcasting likes those sheets that she got you some for Christmas, which I think means she liked the sheets also yes. very much. Yes. What color? Um, I think that we have a gray what color? set. What it's, color? What color? Well, one, one set is gray and I think the other set is like a beige. I don't care about the color, to be honest. Okay. I mean, I sleep in the dark, T-Bird. Well, it's all the, the same lady, color to me. Yeah, but the uh, yeah the first lady of podcasting cares about color. I'll bet yeah. you on that one. Y- yes. I, I guess a, she also thing. It's a, it's she didn't like thing. that idea also about like king-size sheets so you you don't steal the sheets. So she tried to say, no, you you take them. No, I don't. I, I try to take like after your you've taken all of them and wrapped yourself in a cocoon. I try to take like a corner back, uh, and that's like uh, just trying to take like a little bit of the sheet back. That's me. That's uh, I'm accused of stealing the sheets back. You can't win, T Bird. It's a it's a zero sum game with her. Okay. Yeah, all I'm right. not gonna. I, I'm yeah. not gonna get in with that. I'm not gonna get in. All right, T Bird. I have that same problem. I'm not even gonna get in with that. All right, as fascinating as this is, I'm sure for the listeners that uh, yes. why don't why don't you introduce <laughs> our our guest today? All right. So I've read that a hero's journey begins with a call to adventure, perfectly fitting for our special guest today from New York. Long before this self-described gregarious practical and competitive man won our hearts in season 10 Palau, dominating challenge after challenge in the days when top challenge threats wouldn't have a chance past the merge, much less get to the final two and win while getting no votes against them throughout the game. He showed no weaknesses. His leadership, survival, and social skills were right on point. This larger-than-life character was then asked to play on the 20th season of Survivor, Heroes versus Villains, as, of course, a hero. But long before he was a Survivor hero, he was a hero that followed in his father's footsteps as a New York City firefighter. His accomplishments are many. He retired after 20 years from Ladder Company 108 in New York City. He will tell you how proud he is of his department's response during September 11, 2001, sadly referring to 9-11. Even with his health issues due to his response and work at Ground Zero, he said he has no regrets and wouldn't do anything differently. Hashtag hero. He will tell you about the loves of his life, his three children, Megan, now 24, Declan, 22, Connor, 20, and how his oldest daughter, Megan, is his hero. To that I say, it runs in the family. But what he won't tell you is that he held his high school record in pole vaulting for 20 years. He has a passion for cooking. He volunteered for many years with ski instructors to help disabled vets. I am so honored beyond words and excited to introduce to all the RHAP fans the first winner to win in their 40s. First firefighter to win, one of Jeff Probst's favorite winners, nominated for Teen Choice Awards for Choice TV Male Reality Star, a motivational speaker who played a total of 53 days and was inducted into the Survivor Hall of Fame in 2011. As one of his fellow cast members said, and I quote, Tom being one of the most beloved winners ever. 
I feel it was an honor to go to battle with him. I introduce to you proudly Tom Westman. Wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, t I can let you Tom go on like that Tom all day. <laughs> yes. Yes, Tom, do you still have time for an interview oh, I after have, that? And I could have. In- <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I don't recognize myself in that intro. I'm like, wow, who's she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. Go oh, on. Thank you, T-Bird. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was very nice. Um, hey, good to be talking with you guys. Yeah. Great to be talking with you, uh, Tom, uh, that this is one when people ask me about like, uh, who's somebody that you never talked to on the podcast that you would love to, uh, I've said Tom Westman. Is that right? And we're fellow Long Islanders. Yes. Yes. This happens sooner. Yeah. What what, what time were you from? So, uh, my family has lived in Wontaw for, uh, 30 years. Nice. I'm a little further out. I'm out here in beautiful Sable. Yeah. And that's where my, uh, you know, my family is all out. Uh, uh, my brother and sister are out in uh, Suffolk County now. So uh, very nice to talk to a uh, fellow Long Islander and an all-time survivor great. Tom, how have you been? Things are good. Yeah, life is great. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's it's funny to go back and go down the survivor road with you guys. It's uh, I guess it's 15 years. Um, I had a call not too long ago from Stephanie, uh, from my season first and then a few seasons following. And she was watching it for the first time. So she was watching 10 for the first time with her three children. And she called me up and said, she was, my God, she was, I'm the same age now as you are. If you were when you won, when you played and my kids are the same age as your children were when you were playing. And I said, Oh, kind of the passage of time marked uh kind of indelibly there yeah so. yeah tom did you follow the survivor winter season that just aired i did yeah yeah it was a good one I, the challenges were great um of course the characters were all great um wish i could have been there with them <laughs> but uh so it wasn't meant to be but uh yeah it, it was a great season great winner um i have to Confess, I was rooting for the fireman, not for the cop, but uh, for Jeremy. But Tony was Tony was a great win, also. So yeah. Do you feel like that uh, being a firefighter that we've seen the success of uh, Jeremy also to come and uh, be a firefighter and win the game is, is that profession one that uh, prepares you for Survivor in a lot of different ways? You know what? I totally believe that it did, um, and even the guys and the girls that I was were on my tribe said that a few times. They said, wow, like we had a, a challenge where we chased each other around a circle, carrying the mailbags with whatever weight was in each one. And then had to pass them off if somebody dropped out. And after it was over, Greg Terry said to me, he's like, wow, that must be what it's like to get pushed down the hallway by you as a, as a, a fire officer. Cause it was that, you know, and I told him before it even began, I said, I'm going to be yelling at my beat, but it's just to get the job done. Um, so I kind of had that training and that ability, uh, was part of my everyday work life. Uh, people said it was interesting how well I got along with those younger people, but basically at 41, that's was my job. That was my workplace every day. I was a Lieutenant in fire company in Brooklyn and the guys, were in their 20s, you know, early 30s. So uh, so it wasn't too far away from what I did for a living uh, as far as 
leadership and, and helping get a job done. Tom, did you did you apply for Survivor or did you send a video in or did they recruit you? So I did. Uh, my ex-wife was a big fan of the show. I really barely watched it. Rob, I watched your season. Oh. Um, I watched Amazon and more and because Christy was on it. So, you know, I heard that there was a girl with a hearing uh, impairment on the show and my daughter having lost her hearing and meningitis uh, kind of. It, it was very interesting for me to watch that and then to to be on the show and think about the challenges that she was facing mm-hmm. because, you know, night was 12 hours. We were on the equator, so it was kind of like 12 hours of light, 12 hours of dark. Yes. And how much of a challenge it had to be because a lot of the uh, the bonding and the, uh, you know, just building trust with your tribe was just talking in the dark and, you know, yes. playing word games and stuff like that. So I was thinking of how difficult that must have been for her. Um, so, yeah, so I really didn't watch it too often or, or, or that, you know, I w- wasn't really hooked on it. Uh, but, you know, somebody kept telling me, oh, you got to try this. This is cut for you. It's and uh, send one application. Um, and, you know, it was pretty funny. The uh, the casting agent called me. And I didn't believe too many guys in my firehouse knew that I had sent in mm-hmm. a tape and, and an application. So when I got the call, I was absolutely sure that this is one of my buddy's wives and they were putting me up, you know, for a joke. And yeah. so my first, she said, Hey, it's Kathy from survivor entertainment group. And my response to her was, wow, Kathy, you sound really sexy. What are you wearing right now? Yes. And, and so there was a pause and I was like, come on, who is this? You know, is this Lisa is this, and uh, she said, oh my God, she never had this problem. I'm going to read back to you things that you wrote in your application. Mm-hmm. So with that, I was like, oh, all right, Kathy from Sabah. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry about now. that. So yeah, but, but it probably already moved me up the ladder. Like, my God, this guy is so paranoid that he's playing games in his normal life where he doesn't even believe that we're us when we call him. Um, so, yeah, so then the thing just, it, it rolled along. I kind of had a feeling that uh, they were, that they liked me and, and were going that direction. Uh, Rob, as you know, they don't give you much heads up. You know, you kind of know that you should be getting time off from work if this does happen. But um, it's probably just, I don't know, maybe it was a week or two out before it's confirmed. But um, so, yeah, lightning struck once. I went out, you know, they brought 50 of us out to uh, L.A., I guess, to, production looks you over, you know, and CBS looks you over. Uh, but I told them at that time, cause they said, Oh, you remind us of Andrew Savage. And mm-hmm. he, you know, he was out here a couple of times before we found a season that was right for him. And I thought they were kidding. And I was like, Oh, I said, right on my application. We'll never return for a second tryout. So I, I said, I really felt ridiculous being out there trying out to be on a game show uh, with three young children at home and a job. Yes. Um, so it was kind of, I think it was a little of that attitude that had them interested, but uh, I, but I was really felt that way. Right? I, I would not have come and tried to do this again. So. Did you feel like it was clear when you were out there that they were going to pick you? Uh, when, yeah, I, I did. Um, actually I was down the outer banks with my family one time and, Somebody, a family from Ohio came over to talk to me and she said, the woman said, oh, you bumped our dentist from the show. So it was kind of when you go out there, there's, 
almost everyone's got a, a doppelganger. And so there's, you know, two housewives, two dads, two. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you do kind of, you kind of realize, Oh, that's, that's the guy I'm competing against. So, um, yeah, the, I, I think the, the application process and then, uh, getting on the show is almost more interesting than the show itself. It's, uh, you know, that, that whole process was crazy. Hey Rob, I want to ask Tom because Tom mentioned it already about his daughter, Megan, his 24 year old daughter. And so this is what I want to start with asking you, Tom, Jeff, um, at the end of winners at war at the very end, he did some, he did a request for teenage applicants, 16 year olds, I guess, if your kids wanted to go and, you know, if wanted to play the game, what would you say to Declan, Connor, or even Megan, since you said you started watching season five because of Christy Smith, what would you say to them if they told you they wanted to go out and play Survivor if they were just 16? Uh, you know what? I, I actually got called. Um, they were asked me if I was interested in doing that. I guess it was a blood versus water. Yeah, uh, I had started a new career, so I, I wasn't interested in doing it anyway. But uh, I also I would not have gone out with my daughter on that. I, I think I think it's a little rough on a young person. I think that you know if an adult goes on it and they give you a bad edit or you come off, you said something stupid, and you, you kind of get you go back to your own life and everything's okay because you know who you are and your friends and family know who you are. I think for a young person, it could twist them around a little bit. And, and just, I think it confuses their life. I think a lot of these young people go on these reality shows like this and then think that, you know, their life is going to be out there in LA with more adventures like that happening. So I know, Rob, you made it happen, but <laughs> I, I don't think too many other people are going to uh, find a path through their, you know, brief moment on, uh, on a reality show. Uh, I do have three children, though, who, are all waiting for them to do uh, the children of survivors. So I think that would be an interesting, there's enough of us now who have children who are in their Mm -hmm. twenties. It'd be kind of cool to see different families being represented. Uh, So another thing they could do for a future season or something, maybe not even reveal early on whose kids they are on the show. I guess yeah, you have to see who yeah. who you look like. Right uh, oh, wait, uh, yeah. that, are you are you yeah, uh, yeah. related to Russell? Uh, let me say. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so, Tom, I, I would love to uh, start to talk a little bit about Palau because it's such an iconic season of the show, mm-hmm. and there were you know so many moments uh, from that show with uh, the just the total dominance of the uh, Karor tribe dominating Oolong over that the course of that season and uh and, and so many great characters uh does is, is there any sort of pride for you in terms of just uh, that Karor is thought of as the the greatest tribe that was ever assembled yeah I, there's pride in that um I, I think the whole season was great you know i i know fans all have their favorites and they uh i thought that the challenges were unbelievable i you know Thinking back on uh, John Kirhoffer, as many know, is the challenge director. And yes. he kinda, he's the wizard who comes up with the toys for us all to play on. And uh, I think, you know, something I heard was that he had so many great ideas, but never had that clear water that we had in Micronesia um, to do them on. So 
that one was just so many challenge after challenge was in the water, underwater with cameras pulling, you know, trunks across the bottom, building erector sets. To, it was, we were wet a lot. <laughs> so, uh, so I think it was probably the most beautiful. I know it's been used. The location's been used a few times for different seasons. Uh, I don't, I don't think I've seen anything as beautiful as uh, those beaches in Palau. Um, so yeah, and, and it was pride. Uh, it really, it was such a crazy lopsided team. I mean, you could see, so 20 people get cast, 10 people are the characters. We are the, uh, you know, the dad, the mom, the hairdresser, the, you know, the attorney. So, and then the other 10 were the eye candy. They really were the beautiful young kids. And uh, we actually called them the Abercrombie and Fitch tribe. Uh, but when we did a schoolyard pick them, where normally you would have dispersed that talent and that strength and that youth between the two tribes, we all picked the people who were most like ourselves. So, uh, you know, Ian chose Katie. Uh, Katie chose me. I chose Janu. Um, you know, wanting somebody who's closer to my age. And uh, so we all ended up being much weaker and much older than the other tribe. So I'm sure the production was like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. It's going to be a blowout. And then it happened the other way, which was crazy. But it was just, it was older, wiser people taking their time, thinking things through and, um, and just, you know, keeping our stuff together. Uh, so, so it was, it's improbable to have ever happened with two tribes. It was even more improbable for it to happen with the tribe that did that schoolyard pick them. Mm-hmm. And we ended up against a bunch of young kids. Uh, but then, you know, just kind of made better decisions than they were making. And you even aligned on the first night before the schoolyard pick with Ian and Katie, right? And Stephanie too, as well, right? Yep. Yeah. It was kind of, uh, Ian and I, it was, you know, just a couple of looks. We we actually, you know, as we were heading in the boat to the beach, we were kind of giving each other a look like, you know, I think at one point I put two fingers on my chest and interlocked them and gave him a quizzical look. And he looked around the boat, looked back at me and gave me a nod like, yeah. And then when we got to the beach, we kind of avoided each other. We didn't even, it was almost like, all right, you know, this, this guy, I saw a flicker of intelligence behind his eyes and he looks like he wants to talk too. So we got to meet a bunch of other people and then went over and, and said, all right, you know, you and I, and then he's like, hey, listen, I'm, you know, Katie, I've been talking to her. And I said, I've been talking to Stephanie. And I said, all right, let's, let's start with that as the force. So, um, so it was really early. It is, uh, you know, I mean, you talk about corporate America and, being able to pick your team and recognize the people who are going to work well with you. This was uh, a really good example of just recognizing who you wanted to go for the next 39 days with. So, um, so yeah, it worked out. Tom, can you talk a little bit about what it was like when they first marooned you guys on that beach and basically you guys were, you know, thrown off of the boat and or or paddle or paddling off uh to your beach and then you didn't we weren't given teams until uh the next day. So what what was the prevailing thought that was uh being talked about among the 20 people that were out there on the beach that first day? Uh, you know, that, that was a great 
technique by production just to keep us unbalanced. You know, everyone's assuming, you know, how can we don't have different buffs? How can we don't have buffs? How come, you know, so uh, maybe it's going to be an individual game from the very beginning. So it, it was, uh, that was kind of cool that nobody knew what was happening. So we built a very large shelter and everybody got in it that night and you're kind of getting to know people. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, just, just another one of those curveballs, and I mean, now the game has so many multiple curveballs. You know, mm-hmm. back then that, that was kind of unique. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's crazy. Do you like all the curveballs now? All the twists, the immunity idols, the idol nullifiers, the fire tokens, the edge of extinction. How do you feel about how about there's so many now? How do you, you feel know, about it? Uh, so all the changes now, as a viewer. I think things would have gotten stale and everybody would have known the formula and it wouldn't have been as interesting uh, if, if they hadn't thrown all this in. I'm happy to have played in the old school days. Um, I do believe that it was about building a social fabric out there. Uh, I don't think that that exists anymore. I think that, you know, you're only as good as your last boat. Um, so there was a lot of talking. I think that we got to know each other very well trust each other. Uh, so I, I kind of, you, people always say, well, it's also contrived the whole thing. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's not too far different from what we do in our normal life. We surround ourselves with people who support us, people who have the same goals as we do. Um, you know, they trust you, you trust them. So uh, I, right now it is, it, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a wacky, you know, sometimes I, I think these people don't even spend time in the camp talking about their childhood or about their children or their families or their thoughts on things. It seems like everybody's out scavenging. So it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt in some ways. So, uh, but I also, I, I get it. I, I, you know, if they just kept doing the same thing, I don't think we would have been at season 40. So, um, so it's working. Yeah, it's a good point that you make because that in your season, I mean, basically you spent the entire game with the people that you were with uh, between no tribe swap. Ultimately, you're with this group from day two all the way until when each of these people ends up getting uh, voted out. Does that make it? I guess uh, you you don't have an experience to compare it to, but I'm sure that must have been uh, you know incredibly difficult as we saw Ian really struggling with uh, which way he wanted to go at the end of the game that you're with these people for mm-hmm. 38, 39 days. Yeah, uh, so I don't see that emotion anymore. It, it really was. Uh, I mean, it, it was. I laughed back, laughed looking back because everybody was so focused on. Jen and Greg as a power couple mm-hmm. and they didn't realize just because it was two heterosexual men that the real power couple and the real relationship was Tom and Ian. So it was, we were almost able to hide behind, you know, their lovey dovey act. But if, if there were two people who were, you know, joined at the hip and, uh, it was Ian and I, yeah. So, um, so that, that was, you know, it's, because it wasn't a romantic relationship, nobody saw it, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. Um, yeah. But we were able to to work together like that. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it just it, it really the, the friendships were deep. Uh, the trust was built. It was 
it was why, you know, at the end, when things get nasty, why it did hurt so much on both sides. It's, uh, you know, it was, and, and people, I think folks watch the show at home and they're like, what, you know, what the hell was a person thinking that like, they just, they lost something at the end and they, but you really are starting to lose it. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you are, uh, you're under duress. You're not fed. You're, you're, you know, you've been sleeping out when it rains, you're soaking wet. It's, so you start breaking down a little mentally and then you, you're missing home and you've got rampant paranoia because you know that everybody's trying to now you're starting, you get down to like the final 10, you start thinking of, of that money as your kid's money. And <laughs> these people are trying right. to take my kid's money. So, so I think that that, uh, you know, people do come unglued. I, I think being older helped me. I think that the, as we got deeper into those towards the end and people were coming a little undone, I think that I was able to bear down and just be like, all right, like this is actually, this is opportunity. People are, are struggling right now. Do you think that's why Ian decided to come down just the, the mental and emotional stress? If he was thinking clearly day one or two, would he have, would he have come down in your opinion? You know, uh, Ian will argue that (laughs) he'll argue that it wasn't. I I think that I had him beat. Um, and I think that he knew that the jury, I would win against him in the jury. That's why I, I was telling him our, our agreement from day two was I said to him, you know, we've been talking about you and I to the end. And I said, listen, I'm never going to lie to you. So I'll tell you right now, I'm not taking you to the end. I said, it's you and I to the end. And when it takes, you know, final three and whoever wins that battle takes Katie to the jury. So that was our deal. That's what we, uh, we agreed we do. And eventually it's what happened. Um, but when we were hours and hours into that final challenge, I did, I said to him, listen, jump down and uh, I'll take you and we'll let the jury decide this. But I think at that point, he knew that the jury wasn't going to give him the vote. He kind of early on, he would have gotten the vote over me. Um, he very effectively hung the stink of every vote out on me, which we were, I, I would laugh with him. I'm like, I know what you're doing. Stop. So he would just say, he'd go to people and tell them, you know, hey, nothing I could do here. Uh, Tom says it's you. Mm-hmm. So he was already building a uh, favor on the jury. Uh, but then in those last couple of days, he got caught in a couple of lies and, you know, kind of came undone a little bit. So, yeah. so I was confident enough that I would have won a jury vote. And I was like, if you jumped down, but if I had fallen off and he took Katie, you know, I knew I was out. So uh, there was actually an interesting story at 10 and 10 hours into that thing so they weren't ready they had no idea they thought this thing was going to be over in three or four hours um there was a point where jeff said to me how long do you think this is going to go and i said a lot longer than you (laughs) he was like uh you don't know what we expect and i'm like i know you're not set up for a night shot and he was kind of like looking like he really and he goes you think this is going till dark so maybe it started around noon or one in the afternoon i think and i said to him i said i think this is going to go to dark and i said and then i think it's going to go to light and i said i think sometime around dawn tomorrow either ian and i are going to pass out and that's when we decided 
so that wasn't what they were ready for or wanted. Uh, they did all of a sudden, the, you know, guys from production started setting up the flaming barrels and getting ready for a night shot. Mm-hmm. It did go into the night, and at 10 hours, uh, they said, all right, you're going to switch at 10 and a half hours. A half hour from then, we're going to switch to one foot. So we spent the next 25 minutes or so figuring out which foot I wanted to support myself on, and then I just decided I'm not doing it. And I told them, I said, Jeff, I'm not, I'm not going to one foot. So that led into a big argument, and I said, you know, whoever's here, from CBS and representing the show legally, I said, these were the rules you set. This is the way I've played it for 10 hours. He said, you can't change the rules at this point. And Ian just wanted it over. So he started harassing me and saying, let's go final battle, you and I. And, you know, I told Jeff, I was like, my foot could accidentally hit the pole and I lose a million dollars. I said, so I said, I'm sticking with it the way you said this game was to be played. And Jeff did tell me later on, he said, it was a million-dollar argument you made, but they weren't happy with me. Nobody on the barge filming yeah. or observing was happy with me. I've never heard but, of anything like this before, Tom. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a yeah. pretty crazy thing. So. Tom, how much longer do you think you could have stayed up there if Ian, you and Ian hadn't made your deal? Oh, T-Bird, I'd still be up there. Yeah. <laughs> 15 years later, I'd still be on the pole. Uh, you know what? I, I, okay, that's so funny. I was yeah. as bad, as painful as it was. Uh, I think, you know, uh, having three young kids at home yeah. and, you know, just, you know, the fireman's hour and the whole thing, it was, uh, I don't think that I could have been beaten there. Um, so, um, yeah, so it, it, it was a great resolution. Um, you know, uh, for me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Ian, he, he did what he wanted to do. And, and he is, I mean, he's one of the most incredible guys I know. He, he is so honorable. He is, he is really that good. Um, he didn't like the way things were ending for him, um, uh-huh. with, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty dramatic season, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, just the way that the Ian thing was framed, the the way that you're talking about it, where that he felt like that he wasn't going to be able to beat you in the final two. It gets talked about like, oh, Ian, you know, gave up a million dollars. But do you think that he realized that I'm not going to be able to beat Tom in the challenge? I'm not going to be able to beat Tom in front of the jury. And so that maybe as like one sort of like make good to Katie who that they had had uh, their whole drama about where she was upset with him and felt betrayed by him that was that sort of like uh, his way of trying to like uh, at least throw Katie a bone there at the end of the game yeah so I mean there's not there's not that much difference between second and third place financially so uh, so there could be that but uh, has Ian done this podcast yet no no (laughs) You'll have to ask him. Uh, you know, he. I, I do believe it was sincere. I do believe that, you know, he was like, this isn't, you know, as he said, I think, this isn't what I came out here to be the villain on on this game show. So, um, so I think it was. It was him. And, and you know, it was, at the end of the day, it was, uh, he, I'm sure as, you know, he's a 40-year-old man now, he's looking back probably going, oh, man. I let this older guy get in my head. Um, 
and there was there was gameplay with that at the end too. It was you know it was I it, it's hard to remember where your mindset was because then you watch it and you see what the edit was. So um, I once I realized that Ian was playing me, and then that came out. Because he was, you know, he said, if Tom wins tonight, he's still my best friend. And if he loses, he goes home. I think that when it was clear to me that I was upholding our end of the deal and Mm -hmm. I was still only there because I had won the challenge, I think I I thought I was going to lose the game and come back looking like a fool and have to face the guys in the firehouse that the 21-year-old kid played me and, and I fell for it. So, so there was anger on my part. Um, I mean, I, I haven't watched in a long time. I don't like the way I come off sanctimonious. Like, oh, Ian, I regained my tree. You know, it's, it, I don't know. It, it, it all got a little sideways in Shakespearean at the end. Um, I certainly, I don't think he was evil, even if he was plotting against me. It's what the game is. It's, you know, uh, I, I think me mentally breaking him down was part of the game too. That's part of the outwit. And so at the end, you're kind of, you worried about your edit and looking like, you know, like, Oh my God, you know, I'm twice this guy's age and, and I got played. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a, a lot of talk saying nothing, I guess. Tom, we talked to Stephanie. La Grossa Kendrick, our season okay, one. Yeah, yeah. And yep. we were talking about the, ch- yeah, I know you guys are good friends. You referenced her early, you know, when we started talking. Yeah. However, I wanted to tell you this. She, we were talking about the challenge that you and Ian were doing, and she said she could have taken you on that. And do you remember, Rob, what she said? She said she could have at least, at least gone 16 hours. So could you have, yeah, could you have done that? It. I know you um, said you'd still be up there. So I guess that's a yes. So you know, that, that challenge, well, they, they tried that thing out. And because of how painful it was to be, you know, how long can you be in a catcher's crouch? But if you stood up, your center of gravity took you so far out that it was all on your arms. And so your arms would reach exhaustion. And then you'd go into the catcher's crouch just to get the buoy up straight. And then, you know, the burning in your legs would start. So it was, it really um, it was like a little, torture session uh for 12 hours but i've always said that had it been stephanie had it been jen lyon had it been um you know some uh, smaller person who didn't have that higher center of gravity um it would have been that much more difficult and i'll to be fair to ian i think that i even had an advantage over him um, I've got a size 11 foot. He's got a size 14 foot on the same size ring. He's <laughs> a foot or so taller than me, more than that. Um, so he, he was dealing with a higher center of gravity. Um, so, so that I do think that the nightmare would have been up against, you know, a tenacious, smaller woman who really could have just stood on the ring where their feet fit a lot better than mine or Ian's did. And uh, they, they it wouldn't have leaned the buoy out as far as it did when Ian or I stood up. So it would have, uh, it, that really would have been a nightmare to be going up. And then to Katie's credit, uh, they didn't think you could go past three or four hours. I think Katie was still up there five and a half. And, um, you know, I don't blame her. She knew she was going to the final, to the vote anyway. So 
I don't, you know, but she was, that was tough. It was, you know, she hung in there too. So, yeah, so I wouldn't have wanted to been up there with Steph, Jen, um, some of the other people. Tom, one of the things I think that was really interesting uh, about your game was that you basically led this uh, Karor tribe to all of these victories. But then you were in this position where you were so out in front, you were so much of a threat that you knew that all of these people on your tribe were looking at you as, okay, okay, well, we have to get Tom out now because he's uh, so much of the leader that if we want to win the game, we have to uh, get him out of the game. And you actually, you spoke to the group about this, about like, hey, like, uh, you know, I really would, I helped get you here. Don't turn around and screw me over now. And I just think that that's a, an interesting discussion. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was kind of embarrassing and desperate. But, uh, you know, I kind of was like, oh, my God, now, now they're going to get rid of me. Um, so I, I did try to say, hey, I just want to remind you. You know that the the challenge hog never wins these things, and Katie accurately said, "Yeah, because we vote you out." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that was like I don't know. That was just a little desperation of me getting totally paranoid and hoping that I could. Uh, but a good friend of mine, uh, because I had uh, that that final group has been out to my home a few times, and a friend once said to them, "Like, oh my god, what were you thinking? Like, you know, like as a fan, like." Of course, his friend likes me, so they were happy they didn't. But they were like, why didn't you? Why you had an opportunity twice, maybe, and you didn't? And the group kind of said, we always thought that we had more time. And so there was a... uh, We were having a lot of fun. We really liked each other. Uh, I was providing food for them. And it kind of... I think that they were all afraid of, you know, pissing off dad. (laughs) So kind of like you didn't... You just didn't want to to do it, so they were like, "Well, we got time, we got time," and then they didn't. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tom, on your first, the very first immunity challenge that you won, of course, you won quite a few. I think I remember that a lot of the others dropped out for food, and we saw that at Winners at War when we saw them dropping. You know, all these winners that were coming down for food, yeah. up, you know, playing for more than a million. Um, playing for two million, so I'm I'm curious if you would have ever thought about coming down for food because I can tell you when Kim Spradlin came down, I was shocked. Yeah, um, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, so the other the story behind that also was we had had the visit from the two Palawan mm-hmm. fishermen, and they had brought some rum with them. Yes, and I had to, you know so. I drank like I would drink at home, but mm-hmm. at 160 pounds instead of 190 that I was at the time um, and dehydrated, it went right to my head. So waking up in the morning, I'm like, oh shit! Uh, I kind of, I think I was a little worried even with the kids. You know, they were going to see dad, you know, have a bad night, so they needed to see have a good night. So I told everybody on the tribe, nobody's beating me at this. I'm, you know, I'm staying up there. I'm going to win. If there's food, get your food. But uh, so I, I wasn't in danger. I didn't need to. I knew that they were not looking to get rid of me at that point. Um, so, but th- I think that's why it didn't go twelve hours with some of those. You know, that's why. Even and then Stephanie had joined us. Yes. So for pizza, she's you know she's so fierce a competitor. 
but I think that she needed to also, she knew that her fate was kind of in our hands and by capitulating and saying, all right, you know, you, you need to win this one. I'll let you win. Um, so she, she decided it was a smarter and it was, I mean, if she had stayed up there, you know, and said, no, I'm going to take this from you. Then it would have been like, all right, we're not on the same team or we're not. So, so I think that's what happened there. I think that, uh, I was just determined that I was going to win that one, but it is crazy that, you know, somebody jumped down for a couple of donuts, um, and a million dollar opportunity was at stake. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and also they were crazy in the fact that, uh, four of them or so jumped in for 14 cookies. Like maybe if one person jumped in and at least got to <laughs> share a plate of cookies. Yeah. It would seem like you'd wait a little longer. Um, so I forget who made it, who the last two were, um, but they did. They split a full pizza with all the toppings. That that at least seemed worthwhile. So one of the best things I think you did was uh, the way that you cultivated a relationship with Karen, which I think was really something that saved your game when uh, the group of uh, Greg and Jan and Katie were starting to come for you. You were able to uh, pick up Karen and get get her to be somebody who was reporting back to you, even though it probably wasn't in her best interest. Did, did you yep. have that in mind uh, uh, for a while, or was that something that just came yeah, to you? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, you know, it, I was looking at her as a jury vote. I was looking at her as somebody who would give me a heads up when there was trouble. Uh, a lot of people, when they're not in the numbers, they act against their own best interests. You know, so uh, like Karen, she'd get all nervous, like, and she's like, who is it? And I'm like, I'm working on it. And she's like, why is it me? And I'm like, they're talking about you right now, but there's no way you do too much around here. And then, and when I come back and I tell her, uh, we're voting for Kobe, um, then she's willingly voting out the only shot that she's got, uh, like, of, of, you know, other people who aren't in the Alliance. She's just happy. And, and I think that's what a lot of people play the game foolishly is that they're playing for that vote that night and just to get into the next day and you really have to be willing to play the game a little risky to get to the end and get the money. And, um, so Karen knew, and I did, I saved her in a couple of votes, but I also knew that I was incurring her favor by doing it. And I knew I'd need her as a jury vote or as somebody to, you know, help me out and let me know if something was coming up that I didn't see. So, Mm -hmm. Tom, did you and Ian, I had, I did a little bit of research on you before mm-hmm. we started this. And there was a rumor that, uh, you, that you and Ian had tried to throw the last two challenges to get rid of Kobe. True or false? No. Um, no, there was one challenge I was willing to sit out in hopes that we didn't win. Mm-hmm. But there, was, there wasn't any throwing it. Uh, I think it was a puzzle. It was something in the lagoon, some kind of water thing. Yeah. I voluntarily sat out. Yeah. You guys sent, uh, was it Greg and Kobe into a challenge against Stephanie and Bobby John, which, you know, uh, the the last time I watched it, I felt like, boy, that's a weird pairing to throw out there in the immunity challenge. Yep. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's what it was. I was kind of like, all right. Uh, I wouldn't have minded having Bobby John or Steph on the jury. And I didn't want Kobe on the jury. So I was kind of like, hey, if they merge us or if both of these people come over and play the game, I knew that Bobby John and I, even though it was head to head all the time, we respected each other. There was always a handshake. There was always a nod. Um, So I knew that I had him if he was a jury member. Um, And I knew I had Steph. So uh, I wouldn't have minded seeing both of those people come over. Um, But yet I would never have thrown a challenge or, or manipulated. And Tom, that's so intuitive of you, though, because, I mean, obviously, you said you did not want Kobe to be on the jury. The only vote you did not get was from Kobe. So you had that dialed in. Yeah, uh, someday we'll get to it out. But uh, I actually, I liked Kobe. Um, I, I thought he was great in the challenges. He was the guy that we needed for, there was a couple of them, the puzzles and, uh, you know, moving the the big pieces, uh, him beating James on the sumo at sea. Yeah. But the guy always delivered. Uh, he's one of the hardest workers around camp. He, you know, just really, whether it was gathering wood or, you know, just, you know, keeping the place, he, he was good. Uh, I, I think that what happened was when he realized that there was numbers, that there was five against four, he got really panicky and, um, uh, there was one we went to to get water one day, and I was trying. I guess I didn't explain myself clearly, but I was like, "Yeah, yeah, like I'm not denying it. There's five of us, you know, and I'm just telling." And I was trying to tell him, "Be number six, don't be number nine, or you're the next guy going home." And he took that as me saying, "I I will grant you the sixth place in Survivor Palau." And all I was saying was like. You know, don't just stay close to the game, stay in the game. And then when we all start flipping and the numbers don't make sense and Katie and Jen and Greg can grab you, then Ian and I are. uh, So, so I I don't know. I don't know if it was miscommunication. Uh, He didn't like the fact that I was being the leader and that they were listening to whatever I said. Uh, There were moments where strategically he wanted to go and we had to give a member up and we didn't know what that meant. So we didn't know if they were going to do like each tribe gives a member and they swap tribes. So we wanted it to be someone within our five. I didn't want to yeah. go. Finally, Ian said, but Kobe was volunteering to go, but we didn't, we didn't want him to go because he could have then got power from the other tribes. So we just weren't going to, let that happen. So, so it must've been very frustrating for him. Um, I, I, listen, I lived his experience when I went back and did the heroes versus the villains. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they just, we had a group of people who were, all right, Tom and Steph got to go. That's, you know, from the beginning. And, uh, so they would, that was their agenda. So I've seen the other side, you know, it's, uh, (laughs) it's not as much fun. (laughs) So, Um, so yeah, and, and you know, it's so I know Kobe always says that we voted him out cause he was a threat. And the reality is he just got, he got really annoying around camp. He was, you know, kind of like 
he was the buzzkill. He was ruining. We were all kind of having fun, at least the five people who were mm-hmm. controlling the game. And it was just uh, enough of this, enough. So uh, that's why he went home on that first opportunity that we had to get rid of somebody. Um, but once again, great guy. Uh, he, I, you know, uh, I wish he had more fun out there. I wish, yeah. you know, just the numbers had lined up differently. Uh, but that that's that's what it was. You know, Tom, I, I want to go back to something that you had said about how uh, you tried to tell Kobe that he was number six. I, I feel like that um, you tried something uh, similar with Stephanie. And I think that that's like an interesting way to approach the game of to tell these people that are at the bottom, like, hey, you know, uh, you, there there is a group. You know, you know, you're not denying that there's something going on, but we, you know, yeah. we want we want to get get next to us, and you know, let's let's see what happens. As opposed to, you know, I had compared it with Boston Rob, where that his game it might be to say like, "Hey, Colby, you know, me and you, let's go to the final two. Let's not tell anybody yeah. and have like multiple <laughs> deals with people." Was that something that you had uh, thought about? Where that okay, well, if Kobe goes back and says, "Hey, everybody, guess what? Tom just said I was I was six outside." You know, it's like, yeah, okay, so what? Uh, it, it's a little bit more of like uh, the people can't necessarily uh, you know come after you with that information. So I, you know, that. That was my strategy was also not to make enemies of a jury member by lying to them. Um, so when I did get, you know, my final say, I said, I didn't lie to any of you. If I told you I was looking out for you and I'd do what I could, that's what I did. So Stephanie, Karen, any of those people, um, what I said I would do, I did. Um, I did look out for them. So it was, uh, you know, when they had to go, they had to go, but it was not, uh, you know, I, I didn't lie. So I didn't make side deals. I didn't tell Karen, uh, Katie's out, you know, it's going to be you, me, and Ian. I, I wouldn't do it. And so, um, so that, that's one of those strategies too, that it, it's risky to not, um, you know, not lie to people. But at the end, if you're, not playing just to stay for two more votes. If you stay in and make it to the end and then get people on the jury who will vote for you to get money, um, then you have to handle it carefully that way too. I mean, we've, we've seen really good players who are missing that part. Um, you know, Russell asking me one time when I met him that, Oh, I'm the greatest. Don't you think? And I do, you, you're, two legs of a three-legged stool like you're missing the whole social game which, he, what you're he doing asked is, you, you know, aren't i the greatest <laughs> yeah 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 uh, um yeah i think it was after the heroes villains were doing the uh, Hold it. uh, uh <laughs> top 10 on letterman or something like that but he wants validation and i'm like ah, you're missing a third of the game yeah you know tom let me ask you this when you you I mean, you already knew with Survivor Palau, you were the king. You 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 did an amazing job, and then you said how you felt going into heroes versus villains because you had to know going in, like you said, you and Stephanie, people wanted you out. You guys were were challenge beasts. You were you were both extremely likable. Your social game was over the top. How did you feel after heroes versus villains? And maybe you even felt it during Palau. When Jonathan and Wanda get out there and are eliminated on day two, 
Can you imagine? I, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. No, I. It, it was. Yeah, it was cruel. Um, glad they haven't done that to anybody again. Um, you know, I, I don't know Jonathan very well. Uh, I do know that he didn't. You know, he really didn't go out of his way um, to make personal bonds on that first day. Mm-hmm. He was a little standoffish, and you know, just he jumped off the, the boat. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that hurt him that badly. That was just you know. Uh, I, I think it was just, you know, just the way people read people. Um, so I don't know. He was a victim of not reaching out and making enough contacts. And Wanda was a victim of just being the older person because she certainly made contacts with everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of respect. You know, you, you laugh and the music and, and the songs. Uh, she is an incredible person, I think. And uh, yeah, like she, she's. Oh. I, and, and I think her not being on probably hurt her more than it would hurt the rest of us. I think it really was something that whatever yeah. life owed her. And uh, so a uh, great lady. Well, that I, I don't think that you know this, but Wanda is actually a very big part of what we do on the podcast because, Tom, we oh, no we do a weekly song parody contest after every episode of Survivor inspired <laughs> yeah. by Wanda, and it's called oh, the, the Wand Off. <laughs> and people make up to 50 parody songs a week to win oh, the Wand Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's uh, like our patron saint. Oh, that's good. That's good. Have you done? Has she done the interview? Well, I talked to her, pro- I think, like five years ago, but it was before mm-hmm. we even started doing the wand off. Uh, and really, right. what we started talking about, the uh, uh, going back and talking about Wanda, was that we were uh, going back and we did a rewatch of Palau. And uh, we were joking around about Wanda and all of the songs. And we were inspired by your uh, Truck 108 t-shirt from Survivor Palau. And uh, we uh-huh. were imagining that maybe all they, that Truck 108 uh, was maybe a radio station. Uh, that, that, that's a <laughs> Truck 108 on your FM dial where uh, all right, of the Wanda right, hits right. get played. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So that's a funny story. I, I, I did not want to wear anything identifying myself as a fireman or I kind of just wanted, I would have preferred to just have a blue t-shirt and just blend in and then let, you know, let me establish who I am with these new people. Um, so CBS was, you know, I think that they wanted the nine eleven connection and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and FDMY. So I said no. And then, we got a notice saying, oh, well, we're going to do a publicity shoot out in Palau when you all get there. So we also need you to send, besides your game clothes, we need you to send us what you wear to work clothes. So I sent my, you know, my button-down lieutenant shirt with the bars and the T-shirt, and the T-shirt's approved. And I kind of knew when they told us, right, we're going for that photo shoot. And I'm like, oh, this is the beginning of the game, this thought and this thing. So that's why you had some people... Some of the girls were in business suits. Some of the guys had jackets. Uh, so it was, I, I think, manipulated to get me in that shirt. So it, it didn't hurt me. Um, 
I didn't talk about 9-11 when I was out there. It was, you know, I think that they were hoping to get sound bites every time somebody would ask me something about it, the sound crew would lean in, but uh, mm-hmm. I was kind of careful not to use that to an advantage and manipulate it because then I'd never be able to come home and face any of my buddies again. So, yeah. um, that, um, have you ever shared any of your, uh, experience with nine eleven? Yeah. Um, so I was off that day and I live, you know, 50, 60 miles away from the city. Yeah. Uh, it happened. I got my car, and by the time I got in, both towers were down. Um, so, no heroics. I was not part of uh, those brave people who were marching up the stairs, uh, knowing that things probably weren't going to go well for them that day. Yeah, uh, I really was just part of uh, part of the cleanup and the rescue recovery over that next year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, lost a lot of friends, a lot of guys I worked with. Um, so, you know, horrible day. It's uh, some kind of trick of the mind for a very long time in my life. It seemed like it was a couple of months ago, and then all of a sudden something, some kind of shift happens, and it's almost, uh, you know, a dream sequence, or, or you, you think of it as something that happened to somebody else that you heard about. So, um, so yeah, um, unbelievable bravery that day by the guys who were there. Uh, there's not one story of anybody shirking his duty or saying, you know, we got to get out of here. They, the guys who were down there rescued thousands and thousands of people, um, you know, going up and walking people down, getting people out of stuck elevator shafts. And they just, they held their ground, um, until they lost their lives. So, um, it's an incredible story. Um, so just, uh, it, it is funny, you know, it's everybody thinks, Oh, that's Tom. He's the guy who's on survivor. And in reality, in your life, it's a funny little story and it took 39 days of your life and it doesn't play into like your life's biggest stories, you know, and I'm sure you feel the same way, both of you that, so many bigger things have happened and things with more drama than being a contestant on survivor. Um, that it's, it is kind of amusing though, but you kind of, you know, that (laughs) when I pass long Island Newsday, that's going to be, uh, the start of your obituary will be, you know, former survivor. (laughs) So, uh, it's, it's just kind of funny, the importance that, that, gets put on it when in you you know in real life it's it's really just was a crazy funny uh exciting little thing that happened yeah hey tom let me ask tom about this because tom and i um i wanted to ask him about because he we we talked about this this week when we talked that he's had of course some health issues um his lungs have been compromised and again he said he would do absolutely nothing differently So moving over, if you don't mind me asking, and if you do, we do not have to discuss this, Tom. I'm curious for you um, now with the COVID problem that has, of course, affected all of us, all the industries, everything, Mm -hmm. and so many lives and families. How has that, especially in New York, you know, it's so spotlighted, it's been spotlighted in New York. How has that been for y'all up there 
uh, in that area. And then with you, as far as, you know, having the compromised uh, lungs from your 9-11 work. Yeah, um, so I, I guess as a New Yorker, we were all more focused on it. We kind of, you know, Elmhurst General Hospital in Queens was exploding uh, long before the rest of the country even realized what was going on. So it was a little more present. Um, I think early on, I got word of people who I knew who died from it. Uh, my former captain very early in this, you know, was still... It was still mid-March, and I got word uh, that he had passed from it. So I think it was more present. And then because, you know, my lungs aren't, they are a bit compromised from 9-11 and, you know, the stuff that we breathe in down there. Yeah. I did treat myself and consider myself somebody who was one of those high-risk groups. So uh, I was pretty pretty strict and stringent about you know, locking down and who I came in contact with and, you know, making sure that my sons in and out of the house all the time were, you know, practicing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just good, smart health stuff. So a lot of people, a lot of friends worried about me. Um, A dear friend actually just uh, had me down to Hilton Head for two weeks and he had a cottage that wasn't being used and he's like, you know, so everyone's just like, hey, you got to get out of that area. and. so, you know, things are, are they're relaxing a little bit and we're, you know, we've all got our guard up and, you know, businesses do need to reopen. And I've got friends who, you know, own bars and restaurants and have their own business and we do need to get things rolling again. And it it is up to people like me who know that I might be at a higher risk than the average person to be a little more careful than the average person. So, um, yeah. So it's uh, it's been a wild ride for all of us, and hopefully, hopefully, we're starting to see the end of this. All right, I want to jump over to heroes versus villains because I think what I read, yeah. what I read was that you said no, you said no to fans versus favorites because I think maybe you didn't. How how do you do better than winning? Once you've won, I mean, unless well, you're going to winners at war where you're all winners. Yeah. So well, Tony will tell you. Well, um, or Sandra, yeah. I know that I read that you you said you would not go on fans versus favorites. I do want to know how well you think you would have done against that cast. But first of all, you did go on heroes versus villains. Would you have gone if you knew before, if you had a little eight ball like I've got here right on my desk? Mm-hmm. Like, thank you, Rob. Mm-hmm. If you knew that you were going to be voted out day 14, 16th place, would you have still gone or do you wish you had gone on fans versus favorites? Do you think you would have done better? Because I'm sure the fans would have gone nuts crazy over you, like they did with Boston Rob. Okay, go. Okay, so um, after 20 years of fire department and then Survivor happening and then connections I had uh, as a volunteer for the Hartford Ski Spectacular. So you mentioned that I used to go out and help uh, disabled skiers. so all those things kind of came to a moment. It led me to retire. I had my pension. I had my health benefits for life. Uh, so I won the, the prize or a little cushion to take a chance. And I went into corporate America as a group rep uh, salesperson for the Hartford. So selling um, 
uh, group benefits. Mm -hmm. And I had started that career. They called me for fan versus favorites. I told them I can't, you know, I just got through all this training and started a new career. Uh, so it just didn't make sense. And then they called me for blood versus water. I told them no to that. And then I get the call for heroes versus villains. And the boss, my new boss at the Hartford, uh, was a big Survivor fan. I said, Steve, I, I just got another call for them. And he said, if you don't go, I'll fire you. So he was, he said, I'll cover your, I'll cover your accounts while you're gone. I'll, you know, deal with your brokers. And he said, you got to do this. It's going to be fun for the office. It's going to be a good thing. So, um, all right. So I kind of had, uh, I think if I'd done it in the first or second year that I started a new career, but now I had a little time in and I was like, right, you know, another adventure, why not? So, uh, no regrets going back. Uh, I would tell anybody playing the game if uh, either win it or get voted out early. So you're not stuck on the jury and, um, have to stay at lose a lot. They scooped a couple of us up. I was with, uh, with Stephanie and Sri and, we went to Fiji for a month and it was, you know, for a guy who's got uh, three little kids at home to be sitting on a beach in Fiji for, uh, for a month was pretty incredible. And so there was a lot of scuba diving and golfing. And um, so uh, that's kind of cool. They couldn't leave us, especially being an all-star season. They couldn't leave us in Samoa because we wouldn't have been able to leave the property because press could have said, Oh, we saw, right. you know, Stephanie Suri and Tom were out snorkeling the other day. So it would kind of reveal the boot order. So, uh, so that was a great trip. So I have no regrets about that. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a frustrating season, you know, knowing that I, I think people like Rupert were just worried about anybody else who might get more camera time than them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Tom and of course, Stephanie was, you know, everybody's sweetheart, you know, that she's just going to eat up the camera. So uh, I think that he really, he wanted us off the beach. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was not at all like the first experience where the first one to me felt like summer camp, getting to know people, getting to really like those people. Um, when you get a bunch of former survivors together, uh, the conversation tends to be about what they did on their season and what they got for free after their season. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have a, a lifetime pass at this restaurant and, you know, all, all this kind of, it, it's just very, very strange. And, you know, and, and with them targeting us. Uh, so, and then, you know, it was great because Steph was there, but when she was gone, uh, so Colby and I got real close but uh we both knew we were on the outside and it really wasn't much we could do um i don't know james i don't know what was going on with him he seemed like a nice guy in previous seasons but uh he's been an a-hole out there and just aggressive and nasty and um that you know it was it was it was a tough place to be it really wasn't fun um whatever it was five against three, I guess, or five against two, it might've just been Colby and I were, you know, the last two men standing against their group. Uh, James blows out his knee. He goes to medical and they send him back with a, a brace from his ankle to his hip. So in previous seasons as a survivor, I think we were afraid of taking a band aid from medical 
because it might disqualify us. So I really, uh, knowing that they were going to stick, even though he was, you know, useless in the challenge and he couldn't do anything and, you know, tore his ACL or whatever he did, uh, they voted me out that night. I really should have just told production, uh, I'm not even going to tribal council. If he can walk to tribal council, that's fine. If he needs a brace to walk to tribal council, I'm not even bother going. So I kind of wish I had dug in there yeah. and just told them like, like, this is, that's not okay. You can't, you know, you can't cast somebody up uh, just to come back and, and vote against me. So yeah, uh, that's such a good um, point, Tom, because you're the same guy that got them to not go down yeah. to one leg on that challenge. Uh, yeah. You should have said yeah. you can't have a one legged contestant. And, and it's not going to work out that eventually is it the next tribal council that they're going to uh, have to vote him out anyway. So it did, yeah. Yeah, you would think that production would rather have you out there than uh, you know, a hobbled James. Um that's a really yeah. good point. Actually, they voted Tyson off. Tyson after Tom. Well, well, but from the villains tribe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, they had two tribal councils in one episode. So Tom, I think I was told too that that three four of three or four of y'all went to Fiji and Rob Boss Rob James and Tyson went to Australia. Was there a reason they split the groups up like that pre-merge? You're too famous. You know what? Uh, I think that James needed surgery or he needed something done. And so Fiji wasn't going to be the place. I think they had to get him to maybe Sydney or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think that he needed medical attention and it just made more sense for that group to go to Australia. Yeah. Because in Survivor All-Stars, when, uh, because Tom, uh, that uh, similar to yourself, that uh, I didn't have a, the greatest experience either on my uh, return trip mm-hmm. to Survivor, uh, and they broke our jury, our pre-jury trip up into two groups. Uh, there were some other extenuating circumstances, but, you know, well, part of it was that they said, like, you know, you have these uh, seven or eight like high profile people if you guys get spotted in a big group like that then you know all the more chances that the season gets spoiled yes yeah can i ask you a question about that uh, um, that pre-jury trip though because you and Suri had been you know butting heads to some degree on the island but you guys were two of the bigger targets that were out there uh probably lions if we were gonna put it in terms of uh winners at war versus some of the hyenas and Mm -hmm. you know in watching the season it's like boy if these two could get together uh they'd realize that they probably need each other and i had always heard that then after afterwards you guys did get on the same page is that accurate after the game, yeah, I mean, the, I yeah. used an idol to, yeah, I used an idol to vote her out. Oh yeah, we, we had a great time together. We, we played backgammon and, you know, uh, Suri is as wonderful as all, all the good that you see of her and the fun and the openness. Uh, I'm a huge Suri fan. Uh, I, we kind of got a little screwed by, uh, somebody warning me about Sari and then that got back to somebody else who told Sari Tom's been warned to go after you. So I, I don't know. I, I think that we both came out there and you know, we were just sizing each other up from opposite sides of the ring. And it really, it, it could have been an entirely different game. Um, if, you know, she and I, Candace Colby had taken 
the control away. And then I, I think JT would have, you know, gone along, but then, you know, the, uh, that other side, the James, Amanda and, uh, Rupert side were, you know, I think so would have, could have, should have, um, you know, it was just, uh, that's the way it went down. Tom, were you surprised that the final four were all villains? And with that being said, the final three of the final three, if you had made the jury between um, Sandra, Parvati, and Russell, who would have gotten your vote to represent the Heroes versus Villains season? Um, so, I, number one, I put no stock in Heroes and Villains. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, I, you could uh, tell me about how you live in your life at home, and I'll, you know, I'll test judgment on whether you're a hero or a villain. But in the game, I don't think there's such thing as a villain. I think that, you know, that's, we've all, you know, we all signed on for this and it is outwit and outplay and all that kind of stuff. So nobody, nobody that was a villain to me. So I I wasn't surprised or shocked that either tribe um, had representation at the end. Um, So, uh, so tell me who the final three was Russell Parv and who Sandra. And Sandra, um, Sandra, yeah. Uh, so not a fan of Russell, um, and uh, big fan of Sandra. I, I think that you know her ability to do the anyone but me thing is impressive. But I think that one of the best people to ever play the game is Parvati. So, and just a few chances I didn't get to play with her on Heroes and Villains, but I did get to meet her. At a few things, um, she has, you know, a, a magnetism that just pulls you in, and, and she, uh, and, and I think it's legit. I don't think it's gameplay. I think she's just one of those charismatic people, and that's why she has been such a great contestant on reality TV. Is that people do get caught up? Um, so, so I think that she's played well. Uh, I don't, I don't really remember the details of the game. I know that she did. Uh, hook up with Russell to move forward yeah. and work you know, with Russell. Uh, yeah. a, a, a beautiful move. You know, everybody who watches the show casually always wonders like, why don't they vote that guy off? He's so mean or she's so mean. And I was like, no, that's who you want at the end. That's, you know, that's a person you're not going to let go. So, um, so that, I think that was good gameplay. And, um, so yeah, fan of Pops. So you're a fan of Parth, but you would have voted for Sandra. So is that what you said? Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't there. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, just watching right. it at home. And so I, I wouldn't have, if I'd been on the, on the beach long enough to make the jury, I might've had an opinion one way or the other, but just watching it from home, I just know what I was shown. So I, I wouldn't weigh in on that. Well, I, I want to weigh in on this to you because Queen Sandra, said oh. mm-hmm. that her favorite uh, I got this I got this today her favorite all-time winner was Tom Westman because and this is no why way. she said she said because I way way yes and this is I, I, she said her favorite all-time winner is Tom Westman um because I felt like he always unified the tribe and kept them strong and together wow yep. Wow. You're her, you're the, 
So no, that's that's the big. queen. Also, she uh, somebody sent me a clip. I guess it was one of the pregame interviews. Yeah, and she said you should be asked, there. They said, yeah. They, so she said, yeah. So yeah. So Were even you, more Sandra Love now. Always, yes, always had it, but now it just uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, and, and you know what? I loved her not staying on the island on this current season. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like, like I don't need to do this. <laughs> it's like it was just. Uh, you know, I, I I couldn't have done that, but I respect her saying like, all right, yeah. So it took another shot at this thing, and uh, this one probably isn't going this way. And I'm gonna go get a shower and a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. So uh, I kind of I, I liked her. Uh, I liked the swagger of her just saying, "No, nah, all good." And Tom, she actually told me afterwards that she said that some of the, a lot of the others that were out there with her said they wish they had left too, but like you and their comp- strong competitors. And I guess quitting would be quitting. So yeah, she, she told me that afterwards. I thought that was interesting. Were yeah. you asked to play um, winners at war? No, not, not even phone call. So I didn't, uh, I didn't even get a tickle on that one. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Shocking, shocking, shocking. That is shocking. Yeah, I I don't know. The age or but how old Sandra? She's not as old as I am, but I don't know. Maybe a little ageism. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I certainly was not going to bring the thunder like I did 15 years ago. But (laughs) that actually might have worked in my favor where they're like, this this guy is, you know, he's out to pasture and uh I don't have to worry about him. Mm-hmm. So Rob, Rob will know this. So Rob, Tom would have been fifty-five when they shot last year. Yeah. Is that right? Well, how? I know Tony. Tony's forty-five. Yeah, I Tony's think Denise. 45. I think was the, the oldest Who on else? the season, but I think she's in her like. I think Denise is like forty-six. I, I think that she was the oldest. Yeah. Well. Oh, so, that was the oldest. Speaking from wow. uh, okay. speaking from absolute experience, there's a big difference between forty-six and fifty-six. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, I, I tell you, I was, it just all worked out for me. I was not, I, I wasn't in that shape at 31. Um, at 41, when this gift kind of landed on my doorstep, uh, I decided, you know, I still wanted to work in a busy Brooklyn, uh, truck company and it was going to take getting on the treadmill and getting in the weight room and all that kind of stuff. So it was more of a work thing. It was kind of like, a you know, semi-retire and go find a, a, a quieter firehouse to work in or uh, get in shape. And so, and then that led to me deciding I was going to run the New York City Marathon. So I actually missed the marathon that year. I shelved my number because it took place while we were in Palau mm-hmm. and then ran it the next year. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, so it, it just, you know, timing was right. And, uh, just uh, worked out. Yeah, but you were a legendary high school athlete, right? Well, legendary. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was a pole vaulter, which, as the guys in my firehouse were making fun of me, they were like, well, this whole survivor thing kind of makes sense because uh, he's a terrible athlete. Uh, he does stunts, and pole vaulting isn't <laughs> a sport, it's a stunt. And <laughs> you, need, you need core so, strength, right? 
<laughs> well, it, it is. It's core strength, and it's it's being a little crazy and not worrying too much about your your personal well being. But I really am not like you take uh, like my buddy Terry Dietz. Um, yes. that he's an athlete. You know, he was a baseball player at Annapolis. Um, when he was winning challenges, that made sense because that's his ability. You know, it's like, all right, throw this ball through that hoop or go out and catch this. Uh, I was terrible at that kind of stuff. So I have always kind of figured out the odd stuff, um, (laughs) and, and tried to excel at that. So survivor, perfect example of, you know, it almost is like pole vaulting, take this pole and jump over that stick. And, you know, so, uh, it was funny. I, when I realized who John Kierhoff was and who his team was, who had put these incredible uh, monstrosities of challenges together, and as we're going and it's beating us up, I would always look because, as you guys know, on the day of a challenge, uh, there could be 100 people watching who are all part of production and they're behind the cameras on whatever side the cameras are all lined up filming you doing the challenge. So it's their day to get away from the paint shop or the electrical mm-hmm. or, you know, carpentry or whatever they're doing. So I would always look for John's team after the challenge was over and give him a thumbs up, like, you know, boy, you know, well done. That was incredible. And so it was like, although there was no words exchanged, there was a mutual appreciation was building. And now as it got later into the game and um, beaten and bloodied and exhausted, then I would look over and shoot them a finger. <laughs> they liked that even more. Yeah. They were like, oh, we're finally getting to this guy. So um, it's why I ran into uh, so, uh Gary Delabate from the Stern Show. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I run into him one day in the city and he recognized me. He's like, dude, you're Tom from Survivor. And I'm like, that's the other guy from the Stern Show. And then so we start talking and I didn't realize that they're really tied in with the show. But I was like, oh, I said, you know, do you know what the last challenge was called? It was Bob Bob Bowie. And he was like, I've got a picture of you and Ian. And John Kierhofer had framed his initial sketches. There's a photo of Ian and I on the buoys. And he gave it to Garrett. He might be in his family room or something. So it was this surreal moment where I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I know this guy from the Stern Show. And he he actually told me, he says, our family calls it the Carol Burnett Show. <laughs> and I was like, right, got to help me with that. <laughs> Why? And he said, when I was a kid that was the one show that we'd all like kind of pour into the parents bed. We all watch together as a family. And he said, survivor is that yeah. my family now. So, and, and that uh, like little stories yeah. like that is the funniest thing that comes out of this when, you know, years go by and there's these little connections and you're like, Oh, I actually yeah, I met that guy once. And so, uh, Ethan walked up to me in the city on a corner one day and said, uh, Tom, pull out. And I just thought it was a fan. I'm like, and he's like, Ethan, Africa. And oh my God. So it's just, uh, uh, eventually we're all going to have our 15 minutes and we're all going to be on some reality show. So you might as well pick Survivor. It's the best, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Rob, let me jump in. So there's Tom and there's Ethan, my two New York heroes, because I think of Ethan just like I think of you, Tom. You guys are both, you know, 
you guys are both amazing. I think the world of both of you. Much, much, much respect. Okay. I just needed to say that. Go ahead, Rob. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just give you a story on Ethan. Um, you know, he, he's the one who called me up and put me in touch with you guys to do this. Uh, Ethan is roundabout. Like we, we had that one brief meeting that time. Uh, my sister battled leukemia, beat it. She's 10 years cancer free, but she was on the same unit that oh, Ethan was right. on oh, at wow. Sloan Kettering in New York. So all the nurses who were taking care of my sister every day took great pleasure in telling me, oh, we know who you are, but you're not the first survivor winner we met. So without violating any HIPAA laws and saying that they treated Ethan's own at the hospital. So I, I knew who they were talking about. And uh, I shared that with him recently. Um, and, and that's when he and I started conversing and kind of, you know, him, me with my lungs and him with his cancer battles, kind of uh, talking about staying safe from the whole COVID thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is a great guy. Um, so, yeah. We love him. Yeah. Thanks. Tom, I want to ask you about another iconic moment from Survivor Palau. Can you talk about your battle versus the shark? Yeah, the shark. Um, So it's funny because I've got a lot of friends out here in Sable who are really good fishermen, and I'm not. And mm-hmm. I don't really fish that much. Boating for me is more going across to the beach at Fire Island and yeah. throwing out a, a beach chair. Uh, so these guys fish all the time and they kill sharks all the time. So it drives them absolutely crazy that I'm known as the shark killer from Sable. So um, it was to me, it was once again, like a stunt. It was not thought out, planned out. It was, uh, it really was born of frustration. We would see these juvenile, uh, great tip reef sharks chasing and they, they kind of would come in and herd all the bait right onto the beach. And the one day as they did it, I grabbed the machete, ran out and right into the middle of them and took a swing and got lucky. And cause not only to hit it, but I hit it right where I was coming from the back towards the front and it went under the scales and cut the thing nearly in half. Um, cause when we got it to the beach and tried to cut its head off, it was like, like hitting it with a machete was almost like hitting a basketball with a broomstick. It just, it was not happening. So, um, so it was kind of a fluke. I think the tribe thought I was going to be able to go out and do that every day. And we ate that night because we really couldn't, you know, there's no refrigeration. So it's whatever we got. So we were starving and then really got to fill ourselves. So, um, and, and then whatever was left, we got to use as bait to start to catch other fish. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was a cool thing. It was, uh, <laughs> just one of those. Hmm. So probes was telling me once he said, you know, uh, Burnett would call in and every day they do a catch up and, they kind of probe said, you know, we knew you and be well, do well and be a leader and all this kind of stuff. But as I started excelling at this thing and he said, he's calling in and giving Burnett the updates every night. And then he's like, Oh, so what the firemen do today? 
And Jeff tells him he killed a shark with a machete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, stop it. You know? So, um, yeah, so it was just one of those moments we, uh, we really were, you know, Ian, Greg, and I were like three kids, you know, floating down the Mississippi on a raft having an adventure. It was so much fun. Those were great guys to do it with. Um, we laughed all day, you know, um, it was just, we were up for anything the, going after snakes. We got in a lot of trouble for that, but, um, yeah, so we were told the only thing we needed to avoid was the snakes. And then Jen and Greg went for a walk and came back and said, we saw snakes, but we don't think that they're sea crates. So sea crate is 10 times more poisonous than a cobra or a rattlesnake. They're not aggressive, but if you mess with them, they'll mess back. So when we got down there and realized that they were sea crates, we decided, well, let's do this anyway, pin their head down and chop it off. Uh, so we got two of them. We got in a lot of trouble. Um, the production, the producer on the beach screaming and yelling at me because I guess I'm the father of the tribe, but they wouldn't let us eat them. And mm-hmm. uh, not knowing where they, they're, a food source there, you know, I, I knew already from reading about the Pacific and kind of getting ready for um, any kind of survival situation out there. I knew that they're farmed and raised for food in Japan. So, but not knowing where we had cut the head off and if we got rid of poison glands, they wouldn't let us eat them. So I was negotiating that they needed to give us five pounds of chicken cutlets in exchange yeah. for the snakes, but it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Tom, you're such a negotiator. Yeah, well, you know how it was. It was, you know, it was like uh, calling an actor strike, you know? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it really, it was the first season that they didn't give the contestants any staples. So we didn't have any rice, no beans, anything. And they said, you know, you should be able to get it out of this marine environment here. But not knowing where to drop a line, not having a line to drop, um, we weren't just going to go out there and be able to find food. So they kind of had to change their strategies. Why we won that visit from uh, Edwin and Joe, yes. the two plowing fishermen who came in and Those caught guys a of fish. And then we were able to do it. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was, so there, there were little moments like uh, I, I just appreciated being there. And so, to meet those two guys and then also a few of us won that reward where we went to the buy which is their traditional chief's meeting house and have a meal and they did you know a little the village came out and did a dance and it was very uh that was very emotional to me you almost you felt like you were captain cook and arriving in the uh you know the hawaiian islands and, and meeting and authentic they might have all been actors they might have been a dance troupe i don't know but uh that that was a really cool experience to have hey tom i know that rob just said that you're a great negotiator but i've also been told that you're a a terrific storyteller and that you have an incredible (laughs) library of musical theater tunes in your in your noggin so have you got anything for us (laughs) no Uh, come on don't disappoint I told you that. Um, that's funny. There was a lot of singing out I'll there. I'll tell you. Of- you it, yeah, you. I was like, I'll 
tell you who told me if you give me some, give me a musical tune. Oh, now T Bird's the good Give me one, right, Rob? We gotta have one. You're not gonna sing. Wanda would. Yeah, Wanda would do it. Do it for Wanda. Oh, Wanda would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm won't. No, so when I when I was a kid, I was in the St. Margaret's Glee Club, and we put on a lot of uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, and uh, yeah. You know, you know, Richard Rogers. Yeah. So uh, we, we did, there was a lot of that. I was in a couple of plays. I was in South Pacific because I was in Fiddler on the Roof and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So Ian also was in musical theater at Penn State. And uh, that that was kind of funny um, as we're singing show tunes by the fire, which of course, none of that can be shown because they'd have to pay royalties on the music. So we used to actually joke that if you wanted to curse somebody out, just do it to the tune of happy birthday and they'll never be able to show it because mm-hmm. they couldn't pay the royalties on it. Um, so there were, there were a couple of us. We were doing a lot of fireside sing-alongs. Um, so <laughs> Diana, know who told you? <laughs> All right. Well, this. Well, this, okay. This this will give you somewhat of maybe a clue. This particular person also told me that you love to use quotes from famous leaders. So maybe you could give us one of those. They said the older oh, you get, the, word, the more ask you those quotes have become. Yep. That you oh, love to use quotes from famous leaders. leaders. Uh, yeah, you know what? Yep, I, I don't remember love, doing yeah. that, but I, uh, yeah, I, I've got a lot of stories that people will tell you. Um, I am a student of history. I love reading and, uh, so, yes, yeah, so there, there's a lot of uh, Teddy Roosevelt and um, Ernest Hemingway and, uh, you know, Winston Churchill stuff coming out of my mouth sometimes. But um, I also think, you know, like any of us who are in hard times now, I think that you do realize that there, you know, when you if you do understand history, I understand that we've been in tough spots before and we've got through it. Um you know, it's uh, so. Yes, yeah, so some of that stuff probably dribbles out of me. I can't. Uh, I can't deny that. Did you major in history? Did I read that you had gone back to study history? You know, I did. Yeah, I was uh, up at SUNY Binghamton. Um, I left after three years to join the fire department, and then went back to Queens College for a while. Um, but it is. Uh, I had a fantastic teacher uh dick salmon in archbishop malloy high school in queens who when you talk about giving a gift he told he was a great storyteller and he made history come alive so so many things that we studied in high school we don't use i've never ever needed geometry i don't think for anything or algebra i've never had to you know figure out the volume of a pool um but this teacher in particular kind of handed me this, uh, the, the gift of appreciating studying history and, and, you know, it just kind of stays with you for life. So, um, so I do enjoy that. And then you get to make your own stories and, and. Well, I'll give you this. She, she said you're a terrific storyteller. This girl played with you in Palau and thinks you are the absolute best, and that would be Katie Gallagher. Okay. Oh, she is. She's the best. So, um, so Katie, let me talk about Katie for a minute. Uh, 
we we stay in touch. You know, we catch up all the time. We still make each other laugh. And Katie, like people, she didn't get the edit that she deserved. Everybody afterwards kind of said ah, it was fair. You know, kind of portrayed who we were and what happened out there. Katie, they didn't show. They showed her snarky side that, that rubbed some people the wrong way, but they didn't show how funny she was yeah. to the people who were in her group. So they didn't have a villainous, and so she kind of got to get the role of the heavy. Um, but in the same way, you know, people say, "Why do you keep Tom around?" Well, well, he was getting us food every day, and he was, you know, keep the fire going all night. Uh, Katie had us laughing all the time. So she, if you picture yourself without your iPad and there's no, mm-hmm. you know, no Saturday Night Live and there's no, there's just, right. and then you Katie is doing plays and doing puppet shows with dirty socks. And all of a sudden she decides she's an old lady and she grabs a branch of a tree and it's a cane and she walks around like that for a few hours being the old lady. Um, it was just funny. So, uh, so she is, she's great. Um, she, I, you know, she was also, I mean, I really didn't know the game that well. Mm-hmm. Ian didn't know the game that well. And so she was also our, you know, she was our coach as far as, all right, this is going to happen. There's going to be a car challenge coming up. This is going to happen. So we kind of relied on her to understand a little more about the ins and outs of the game. Um, so she played a great game. Um, like I said, she her edit, I think, was not as well-deserving. She kind of got beat up at the end on the, you know, the jury. Um, and all those people immediately regretted anything negative that they said to her. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, production kind of winds up the jury. It's different now. It seems to be just like a town hall where people just talk and, they have a conversation, but every juror got to get up and have their moment and production gets those people fired up and says, this is your last chance to play the game. You get to influence the outcome right now. So they stir up a little, you know, resentment and, you know, and Greg went after Katie and uh, as bad as Katie felt from it, I think Greg felt worse as soon as it was over. So, uh, but we all, you know, everyone made their piece. Um, we almost got in a lot of trouble. Well, we did get in a lot of trouble. We didn't almost get in a lot of trouble. Um, the final crew came out to my house to stay with me for a few days while it was still airing. So the show was only halfway through. Yeah. And they all came out sable, stayed at my home. And then we went into St. Patrick's Day in the city. So I was marching with fire department. And I had my crew from Palau not realizing what the new world is, even in 2005. I don't even think I owned a cell phone at that time. But I got a phone call saying, wow, this picture of you guys all over the Internet. So people were taking photos. And, and that kind of disturbed that whole you know, fourth wall of production that we were already home, that we weren't still on the beach waiting to be, you know, visited again by your, by your television set on the next Thursday night. So, um, that was, that was bad. We were not supposed to be anywhere near each other until the show had wrapped up and there'd been a finale and the whole thing. So, but it was also, and I've had a lot of good 
St. Patrick's Day, that was the best one I ever had. Um, and one of my friends said that he put money on a bet in Vegas and won because he said no, none of the other contestants reached into their pocket once mm-hmm. that day. And I bought all the, I bought all the beers. He said, not mm-hmm. he had to have won. <laughs> Tom, I've never met Katie. Have you met Katie Rob? Oh yeah. I've met her a bunch of times. She was just at the 10 year anniversary uh, for Rob as a podcast. All right. Well, as soon as I reached out for her, for Tom, she got back with me and I could tell just like what Tom's saying, that she's just got a very wicked, adorable sense of humor. I mean, right away, yeah, just with her few it. messages she sent me. So I look really forward to meeting Katie. Uh, yeah, I'd like to. I can't wait to meet her. All right. Well, I have actually a couple of people, other people I talked to. So if you're up for this, Tom, um, let's see. I have one person here that I talked to that has given me three adjectives for you. So, hmm. I mean, I'm going to narrow it down for you. They were either on Survivor Palau or Heroes versus Villains. Does that narrow it down a little bit? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yep. My 25 most okay, intimate good. friends, all right. yes. So this particular person, all right, this particular person said she, he, oh, they, they describe you, Beast, Silver Fox, and a badass. Whoa. Okay. Well, all right. I think all it right. might I'll, be I'll, Stephanie. Okay, go ahead. Okay, get one guess. At least give me one guess. All right. Stephanie, when she it called me up and she was watching with her kids, she said that, she goes, uh, you were such a beast. So she used that word. Was okay. it Steph? That's right. And Got then she it. did say that you're a man. Yep, it was Steph. It was Steph. Hey, you didn't hear the, You didn't hear this? Yeah, the bell. That was means she got it right. That's the bell. Oh, oh, I got, I got it. it in the floor, Tom. It's a long story. I'll tell about it later. Okay. I'll tell you about it later. It's in the floor. All right. So you're a man. You're a man among men, and she loves you like a brother. So of course yeah, yeah. she's crazy about you. And she says she could have taken you, and she could have taken you at least sixteen hours on the pole over the water thing because that's what she said. All right. Yeah, now, I wouldn't. I, I've already said I would not have wanted said, to be up there against yeah, her. But uh, don't forget, Tom is a pole vaulter. He is, has experience hanging on there. Yeah, exactly. I know that's true. I know oh, that's right. All right. So this next particular person said that, um, and again, I'm going to give you a clue. Somebody either from Survivor Palau or Heroes versus Villains. They said that mm-hmm. you are a hell of a competitor, and. That you can limbo like no other. Again, Does that another, another down pole game. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I got to tell you about this limbo somebody, thing they told me. This is great. Was, Do you remember this? Okay. So uh, that was somebody who made it, the trip to Fiji with me. So I'm going to say three. I didn't hear no. a bell ring. No bell. No bell. No bell. Um, yeah, I think the only time I I did there was a, uh, a limbo contest on our you know uh, non jury trip to Fiji. So I don't know who else could it be. All right. Well, you you guys went diving together, and you had a boat captain oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was Randy. so proud to show y'all where the movie Castaway. That's right. Randy Bailey. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. 
He Brandy said you're Bell, a hell of a yeah. competitor. And, and he was saying, yeah, and this is so fun. Rob, listen to this story. So Randy proceeds to tell me that at the um, resort where they were staying, everybody at the resort were, was in this limbo contest. Yeah. And here's Tom. Now, remember, when Tom played Heroes versus Bill, and he's 45, Randy, Randy said he beat all the people in their 20s in the limbo contest at 45 years old. I did. Just being voted out, he's still a competitor. Yeah. So that was kind of funny, too. Yeah, it makes sense. uh, Yeah, so we were in, oh, my God, Beachcomber. It was was an island, and we had beautiful bungalows on it. And we were in there, and there was a bunch of backpackers because they also had, like, a youth hostel on the island. And they're trying to figure out because we went in, since everything was on CBS this time, I walked in and with a crowded bar, said to the bartender, Get everybody in the bar a margarita on us. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe nobody recognized Siri or you or Stephanie or Randy. I can't believe that. And, and then Randy was saying how y'all went diving and the uh, boat captain took y'all out and were showing y'all where the island um, where Castaway with Tom Hanks was filmed. Yep. And then he proceeded mm-hmm. to show you the island where Survivor was filmed, having no clue yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that you guys happened. were survivors. He, so he showed us Castaway Island, and he's, he, then the captain said, uh, do you guys, do you know that show Survivor in the States? And we were like, yeah. He's like, they filmed it on that island over there. So probably very close, probably the same place where the filming now where most of the, most of the filming's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's uh, we we did. Yeah, the diving believe. was incredible. Yeah. Um, I it, that was my only regret in Palau was staying to the very end and winning um, didn't allow me to dive in Palau. <laughs> so that's probably the greatest place in the world to dive. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't have won the million dollars. And hey, is it true what Ben said from Winners at War? He said that. Um, a million dollars is not what it used to be. Or what did he say? Something like he said, it's crazy how quick a million goes. That's what Ben said. Do you find that? Did you find that to be true, Tom? Yeah, it's uh, it's life enhancing money. It's not life changing. You know, uh, I left the fire department, but only to go into a different job and try to make more money. than I was making as a fireman. It wasn't like, oh, I don't need to work anymore. Um, so what do you do? You buy yourself a new car, you put a roof on the house. And fortunately we were, you know, smart enough at the time we put the money away. We put, I think a hundred grand for each kid at the end of the day, a million dollars for a New Yorker paying state tax and city tax and all this is 540,000. Um, so it's, it's, it's a nice hit. I'm not downplaying mm-hmm. it, but at the end of the day, it's not, uh, well, I think sometimes people are disappointed that you you know you bought a Volvo instead of a Maserati. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think that they understand you know that, especially on Long Island, right, Rob? Uh, <laughs> That's right. Million That's dollars. Right. Eh, also eh, nice, but yeah. yeah. And and uh, in from Ben's perspective, also probably better to win a million dollars in 2005 than in 2017. Probably went a little further yeah, in 2005. Well, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, or in 2008, right after the financial crisis, when the market was down, mm-hmm. invested yeah. then and let it ride up. Oh, so yeah. 2005, not so great because <laughs> yeah. whatever I put away in the 529 plans took, uh, took a good hit in 08. So, yeah. Um, yeah, then there's that whole question, you know, can I move to Texas or Florida or a non a state that doesn't tax you because yeah. there's almost a hundred thousand is going towards the state tax, but you know, good problems to have um, <laughs> yeah. paying those taxes. Tom probably used a pretty good chunk of his money um, on St. Patrick's day when he took the Palau cast on uh, St. Patrick's day for all the beer. I probably took <laughs> yeah, a pretty good chunk of it. Well, I will say that some of the sweetest times that we did have were like, they would come up, you know, everyone would descend on my house. The people that we starved with and, talked about any you would think that you wouldn't talk about food when you were starving like that it's all we talked about yeah so um i would describe recipes and i think ian and greg said that they knew how to cook when they got back from the, the experience just by me explaining how to make something as basic as a chicken cutlet parmesan or things like that um so to cook for those people and to you know just crack open a case of wine and everybody just diving in and having unlimited Mm-hmm. Uh, food and booze was just so it was just such a great experience because we had been there where you know we were arguing about who got to eat the fish's eyeball um <laughs> yeah and uh and, and then just to highlight one of the the best people of our crew uh jen lyon who unfortunately we lost um who i just can't say enough about that woman she as beautiful as she was on the outside she was more beautiful inside um she was it was it was nice to become her friend and get to really know her because i would laugh with her and i was like listen there's a lot of pretty women in the world i've never been too shy to talk to somebody until i met you on the beach that day like she took your breath away she was uh and then when you got to know her she was such a special special person so um having her in my house and as she was going through her battles and stuff like that was um, just, we miss her. I know uh, we all do. So, um, so yeah, it, it is a crazy thing how close you, you become with those people and not everybody, but you know, we did have a, a unique group there. I, it, they just had a, a zoom chat the other day, but I was on the road and couldn't join in. Um, so, very lucky. It's uh, like, you know, if somebody asked me how to sum up your survivor experience, it's lucky. It's uh, winning the game, is, is there's luck involved in that. Getting on the show, there's luck. Um, but the greatest luck I had was folks that I shared the beach with and got to know. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. Let's see. You don't need to talk to them all the time. And there's still the bond exists. So, almost like a, you know, high school teammate or something that you see them at the reunion and you mm-hmm. pick up right where you left off. But, um, you know, so it was just, the whole thing was a great experience. As nothing negative came out of it. I've never had a bad moment because of my survivor experience. It's all been overwhelmingly positive and fun. And even like you talk about your friends having the ability to abuse you and make fun of you. Um, you spend a little time on reality TV, you've given them a lifetime worth of uh, material. 
Tom, had you ever connected with the other Tom from Long Island uh, who had just won season 39? You know, I didn't. Uh, yeah, so uh, Long Beach guy. Tommy Sheehan. By, yeah, Tom Sheehan. So a few people that I know know him or know his dad. Or, yeah. Or it is, it's kind of like we've been like, oh, you know the other guy? The other. So um, there's been a little bit of that. I know that my daughter connected with him on Facebook and so I'm not on Facebook or anything, but my daughter sent him, you know, a connection and, and just said, oh, you're not going to believe this, but, uh, you know, my dad, the other Tom who won from Long Island. So mm-hmm. they had a little conversation, I think. Um, I'm sure that our paths will cross eventually. Hey, hey, Rob, let me give Tom this last one because I, so, the, so many of these people I reached out to were so wanted to be part of this for you, Tom. So this the last one that I've that I've got here. They described you as persistent, unbendable, and inevitable. <laughs> All right, I'll give you a clue. They are either yeah. from Survivor Palau or Heroes versus Villains. Does that narrow it down? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, do more than that. More? I, don't I, got, know. I got something else. All right, give me some. Okay, this particular person said he deserved to win. And whipped my ass. Oh, uh, let's. What were the three words again? Persistent, unbendable, and inevitable. Uh, was it Bobby John? Nope. No. Um. And let me tell you this too. This is interesting, and. and when I, they gave me this, I'm like, wow, that's that's a big, huge compliment for Tom. Not that I'm surprised because I got compliments from everybody. But he's the one that also said when I did my opening intro for you, this particular mm-hmm. person said, Tom being one of the most beloved winners ever, I feel it was an honor to get to go to battle with him. Hmm. You give? Yeah, I give up. He's the only one... Th- He's the only one that didn't get your vote. That didn't give you his vote. Oh, all right. Uh, wow, that's uh, that's nice. It's nice to hear. Um, you got to say his name. Wow. You got to say his name. No, oh, not Kobe. inevitable. Yeah. You got to say Kobe. his name. Yeah. No, 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 no. I want to ring the bell. Uh. Okay, good. <laughs> Kobe. I mean, he said all these one, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's so. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that I said all the nice things that I said about him, unprompted, knowing that he said something nice about me, which I, I, I wouldn't know how he felt or if he was still angry or. Um, so that's, that's cool. I like that. That's, uh, you know, obviously. We both have the game in the correct perspective, and um, well, I think you said it best. And I think Rob and I probably feel the same way. You you go through such an experience with these sixteen or eighteen or twenty people, however many you play with, and you come out of it with a respect for each other. And usually, it's a love, a family love. And there's some people that you might avoid occasionally, but you still share this common thing that bring you together. And when Kobe Kobe said all this incredible incredible stuff about you, it's again I'm not surprised. Kobe's an amazing guy too, so I thought yeah. you'd be 
be glad to hear that. Yeah, so. no, no, no. I, I'm glad that that he's at you know that he's happy and he doesn't hold it against me. I, he was angry, I guess, and you know I'm like, yeah. it's, it's it's one of those things that you know, I, we've never really had to sit down, have a drink, and talk it out, and you know, uh, and uh, I. So I, I, I totally I'm happy to hear that uh, that he he feels that way, and, and I would like him to know that I feel the same way about him. Okay, well, Tom, thank you for spending so much time with us. Uh, this was uh, so incredible to get to talk to you. I'm sure so many Survivor fans uh, have been uh, absolutely thrilled this entire time. Cool. Yeah. No, it, this was great. Uh, it's kind of. Like I said, it's uh, it's fun to go down, and it, it, it's actually difficult because you really you really have your memories of the game, and then what you saw on TV also. And I know you two both have experienced that. Yeah, but uh, somewhere in there is is the story, and you kind of hope it jives with everybody else's story. Yeah, um, Tom. This was really, really fun for uh, me as well. I'm sure for T-Bird. And uh, this was really a, a, a great one to get to do. Happy to be here. I'm uh, flattered that anybody would even care about uh, a, a game from 15 years ago. But uh, oh, they um, care. Yeah, it's, kinda, it, it's fun to share with you. Hey, so Tom, listen to this. So Rob, I'm yep. going to tell him a little back this backstory real quick, Rob. So when we started this talking with T-Bird last season one last year, Rob gave me a list, a very, very short list of survivors that he wanted. You were the first male on the list that he had. So and it was a very, very short yeah. list. I got I owe her the beers next time I see T-Bird. My bounty. That's so funny. <laughs> so anyway, that was that on that. So, uh, Tom, arguably, arguably the most well-liked and beloved of all the Survivor players. Absolutely still after going through season 40. And I guess I'm, the best way for me to close it is what, what Queen Sandra said. You're her favorite all-time winner again because... You're always unifying the tribe and keeping them strong together. And I think that probably pretty much sums you up in your everyday life, too. So thank you so much. I cannot, again, tell you how thrilled I am. And I know the RHAP listeners are going to go crazy nuts over this one. Cool. Guys, thanks for having me on. Thanks for uh, for giving me a little walk down memory lane here. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to start tuning in because I want to I want to hear the show and see who else you get on here. Um, I'll, I'll have to go back and see who else from my season was on. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's good talking to both of you. Um, once again, it was one of the most fun things I've ever been involved in. There was one of the, the great moments that I had uh, was when the camera crew was allowed to speak to us when basically when a rap was done and the final vote was cast. And you go back and you get that first shower. And one of the guys who was one of the veteran cameramen uh, came up to me. He said, you know, 10 years, 20 games, uh, and uh, 10 games over yeah. uh, the five years. But he said that uh, he said, I've seen 200 people play this game. I've never seen anybody enjoy it the way you did. So he just kind of said that it was, you know, you were never 
not amazed by how close the Milky Way looked or the fact that you were, you know, down here on the equator on an island. So, uh, and I, I said, that is true. I did, I soaked it up and I just felt, you know, just so lucky to be there and, uh, playing a game. So, um, so it's been a good, just a great story in my life and let's share a little more. Yeah. Tom, uh, thank you so much. Re- really, really appreciate you All being right. here. Uh, er- er- everything uh, that you've done, uh, really just, uh, we appreciate you. Cool. Rob, you got my number. Next time you're visiting family on the island, let's get together and have a beer. Okay, cool. Thanks so much, Tom. All right. T-Bird, thanks for finding me. Thanks for finding me, all right? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. All right. Bye, Tom. Thanks so much, Tom. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. All right, T-Bird, there you have it, Tom Westman. Two things, one thing for me, one thing for me. Yeah, that oh was great. Gosh, I'm still just, I'm, I'm, I'm still flying high from, so, so, Rob, I, t- I touched base with Tom because I thought we were going to start our talking with T-Bird sooner than we did. I, I wasn't thinking mm. that you were going to be covered up doing all the Winners at War interviews. Of course, I kept this to myself. For weeks and weeks, because I knew he was on our list. He was on the list you gave me when we started. And when I got him, he said yes. uh, Rob, I wanted to call you like that minute, but I didn't. I'm like, no, just wait. Just just take it down. Take it down. So all this last month, I have been just flying high, so excited about talking to Tom. So, well, he's a legend. He is a survivor legend. And I'm telling you, I was really surprised. That he was not contacted for winners at war. I mean, I I didn't know. I just figured he'd probably been contacted and turned it down, but he wasn't even notified. What? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were. Uh, but what a great guy! What a great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. What a great guy. Okay, that so Rob, yes. couple of, couple of questions here. Couple of questions here. To, I like to ask you something at the end, and I know it's hard to pull. In, and it's hard to trick you up, trip you up. It's hard. Okay. So let me ask you this: Tom, Tom tied the record for the most individual immunity wins in a single season with how many wins? Five. Don't be googling. Yeah. Don't be googling. Ah, oh, oh God! Hold it. That wasn't a solid D. Okay. Yes, that's right. Five. Now. <laughs> yes. Who were the others? Who are the? I've got this bell on the floor. You know, I've got the bell on the yeah, floor. Yeah. Okay. Who were the others that have that tied with him on these wins? Uh, Colby. Okay, go. Colby, Mike Holloway. Is there somebody else too? Yeah. Another, yep. Yep. Brad Culpepper. Yep. Is two there more, so, two more. There's two more. There's two more men that had five immunity uh, wins in one season. Um, boy. Um, and, hey, Tom mentioned one of these during the interview. Um, during our- let me think. Um, hmm. Who else? Who else had five in a season? Um. You are going to kick yourself. It was a Tony. Did Tony have five? What? Did Tony have five? You know what? I'm not. Tony may. Tony may have had five. That I need. We'll have to have a listener. Let me know on that one. 
All right. I'm thinking then. he may have, but I don't have him down on my list. Hmm. Okay. Then uh, Panama. Bob- Panama. Oh, R. Uh, Terry. Terry at five. Yeah. Terry Beats. Yep. And yeah. Did Bob Crowley have five? One more. No. Um. I don't have him down. Okay. Not if, Bob Crowley. If I, don't, if I have it wrong, okay, somebody then, correct no, me. Somebody um, correct me. And then, uh. Boy, uh, I don't know. Who is it? Cook Islands. Oh, Ozzy. You know, I think I, I was thinking about winners. Yeah, should have had Ozzy. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I was, I, so I, no. I, was, I was I was hung up on okay. winners. Yeah. Because usually you win okay. five immunity so challenges. So Colby, you're Australia. Yeah. Well, right. So Colby, Australia, Tom... Westman, Palau, Terry Dietz, Panama, Ozzy Les, Cook Islands, Mike Holloway, Worlds Apart, Brad Culpepper, Game Changers. Now, Tony may have won five, so if so, I got to I got to No, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure list. if it's, it might okay. just be four. So here, yeah, I, I'm not sure if he did or not. Yeah. Okay. So here's the next one. This will be the last one. I can't believe I tripped you up on that. I guess because you thought we were doing winners. If that's so. why. Are you not? So. Okay. Now, so, so, Tom, um, all right, so Tom Westman, first firefighter to win. He's New York New York City firefighter with Ladder Company 108. Yes. Hey, this is a two-part. I think you can do it. Who was the second firefighter to ever win? Yeah. Go ahead. Jeremy. And where is he a firefighter? Cambridge, Massachusetts. Do I need to know the ladder company? Wow, yeah. You just redeemed yourself. <sighs> no, that's yeah. good. Cambridge firefighter. Yes. Good job. Yes. Good job. You redeemed yourself. Okay. I knew you would. All right. Perfect. All right. Very good. That's it. That's it. I had you too. That's it. That's what I had for you. T-Bird, it's been so nice oh, to gosh, be back it. talking Rob. with you. Oh, I love it. I've missed I've you. I've missed you. Yeah. It's fantastic. And you know what? I love coming out. I love coming out of the gate like this. Coming, coming out, out hot. hot. Coming yeah. out on fire. Coming out hot. Coming out hot. Um, you know, I think Tom is just such a fascinating guy that I'm hoping that, I, that no, I'm not hoping. I know the listeners are going to really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And he covered so, we covered so much stuff with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. It was a great, uh, great job, T Bird. Yeah. 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 You did it. Thank you, darling. Yes. Um, T-Bird, uh, this was uh, so nice to get to catch up. And you have more in the hopper? Oh, yes. Now you're saying to yourself, Rob, how can she... I mean, where do we go from Where from do we Tom go from Westman, here? Who we've not heard from. That's oh, what I'm saying to myself. just wait. Just wait. Just wait. You, just T-Bird. wait. I'm super, super excited. I'm not... I'm not giving anything out yet. I've got the second one lined up. I don't want to jinx myself. I don't yeah, want to jinx you don't myself. even tell me what's going on. I find out like a day before the listeners no. do. Because you're busy. You're busy. <laughs> so, and I know that you're busy. So I'm. I just yeah, take you I, 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 I will. I like to know. Well, now I I, <laughs> I know about Tom for over a month. Because yes. remember, I was baiting you. I 
text you and I said, when are we starting? When are we going to start? Are we going to do season two? And you said, yeah, we're going to do season two. And I'm like, okay. So I, I said something to bait you that you'd ask me who we had mm-hmm. and you never did. And I yeah. thought, okay, he's really busy. I was busy. So yeah. I'm going to let it alone. I'm going to wait. I was, I'm going to wait till he comes back to me and says, who you have for me? So you really still didn't do that. I just said, okay, I'm ready to go. I got, I got one ready. So it was kind of a letdown for as excited as I was about it. Mm-hmm. But I knew, I said to myself, T-Bert, he's extra, extra busy right now with all the winners at war. And I know you were. So that's yeah. okay. So when I, when I text you in a day or two or right after we finished this and said, okay, I got the second one ready to go. I'm hoping I'm going to see a little bit more enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you got it, T-Bird. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, perfect. Nobody can match your enthusiasm, though, so I can't give you back uh, that kind of uh, enthusiasm that you're looking for. Well, okay. All right. I still go back to I still go back to when I all the times during season one talking with T Bird when I was so excited to surprise you with things mm-hmm. and I was told quickly and abruptly quickly and abruptly I don't like surprises you know I don't love surprises I gotta it. be honest yeah pretty much yes I know I know I, I know, like to know, know exactly know, what's gonna happen so Nicole learned it the hard way yeah. I know. Nicole learned it the hard way about the surprise birthday party. I learned it the hard way mm-hmm. with some of our interviewees that we put in, but that's okay. Yeah. We're, I think I've got it dialed in now. You've got it dialed in. Okay. But T-Bert. I've already got the second one lined up. I hope, you, I hope you'll be okay with them. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, T-Bird, well, this was a great job. <laughs> Can't wait to get back together and uh, get another one in the books. We're still working on more stuff from season 40 and much more. And uh, we're also looking back in time with our with our weekly wiggle room and wand off. We're gonna have our we're gonna go back to season two, episode two, and have a wand off coming up on uh, Monday. How about that, T Bird? Very good, Wanda. I'm so glad. You know, there's a couple of things I'm so happy that we touched on Jonathan and Wanda. Yes. And you got to talk, tell Tom about the wand off. I think that's super awesome. Cool. I'm so glad that um, Tom brought up, brought up Jen Lyons. Yes. What a special, she was so special, sweet. amazing, amazing girl. Unfortunately, I did not know her. I, I wish I had have met her and, and known her because everybody says the most beautiful, beautiful things about her. I know she was a beautiful person. So I'm so glad that we you know, got to talk about her as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, T-Bird, great job. Of course, uh, you can find out more about everything we're doing on Rob's podcast by being a part of our patron community at robheswebsite.com slash patron uh had our facebook we did a facebook thursday uh the other night uh was only like uh what three hours and 40 minutes of taking calls from our patrons we do patron night monday uh night trivia on our trivia nights and much more over in our patron podcast feed you can find it all at rob slash patron t bird thank you so much and take care everybody have a good one bye Stay here and listen Your life will never
that's it for me and T-Bird here today in this episode of the podcast. We've got a sponsored segment coming up here from Bet Online, where Chael Sonnen and Dave Mason are going to be talking about UFC 250 from this weekend. And if you want to hear more about that and everything going on at Bet Online, stick around for a segment all about UFC 250. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, now I am joined by possibly the longest reigning guest that this program has ever had, Dave Mason from Bet Online. Dave, let me throw you in a weird direction that I wasn't planning on going, but something just popped in my head. And while I have you here, I'm not telling our fans that Bet Online is taking this action, but just for fun, if. If you had to venture, does Mike Tyson return to competition? Yes or no? What do you think? Does Mike Tyson box again? Oh boy! It, it, you know we 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 actually had some odds up on that. Um, so so we are taking bets on 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 Tyson. You know Tito Ortiz, your old pal, was was chirping. So we put some odds up on that on a on a boxing match. We have I think Tyson at minus five hundred. I you know normally I would say no, but in the current state of things with all these charity things going on, you know, the past week when we saw the. Uh, that golf event that was so good and raised so much money, um, and we got awesome action on it with Nicholson, Tiger, uh, Brady, and, and, and Manning going at it. So with, with all the charities, you, you throw that into it, I wouldn't be shocked. If it wasn't for this COVID stuff, I'd say hell no. But with all this charity stuff and and, and all sorts of creative content getting out there, there and, and people just hungry for content. I know Bare Knuckle wants to bring him on for a fight for 20. They're opening 20 million or something, which is absolutely nuts. So normally I'd say no, but with all this COVID stuff, I, I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I saw some pictures of him. Holy hell, he, he's jacked, man. He, he's in great shape. And of course, of course, everybody saw him hitting that bag a few weeks ago. And my Lord, I, I felt sorry for that bag. He, he, he looked as strong and as powerful as ever. So you know, if he does come back, I'm sure it's going to be you know some kind of special you know uh, special rules and everything. I don't think it'll be an all-out brawl. I, I don't know. Of course, bare knuckles. If he fights there, then there are no special rules. They're not even gloves. So I, I would like to see it. What the hell? And, and, and you know, from from booking something like that, that the, the action would be off the charts. I was never in the industry when he was fighting. That was before my time in the industry. So that's one thing I, I always would have liked to seen all the all that Tyson money coming in because whenever he fought, it was an event. And sometimes maybe it's not the best fight or the best game that gets all the action, but the events that's on news, that's on Sports Center 24-7 that everybody's talking about, i.e. Mayweather versus McGregor. Those are the ones that Super Bowls that happen in August that the sports books just love because it's like all of a sudden, the third week of August, all these people are piling back in when they weren't the, the, the year prior. So if Tyson comes back in any, any kind of competi- competitive fight, oh, my God, I, I can't imagine the actual come in. So I'm rooting for it, man. And, you know, I'm of that same school of thought as so many people are saying, well, you know, he's 53, don't do it in these bad things. But I think you brought up an interesting point, which is, well, wait a second. What if we do manipulate the rules? What if all of a sudden it's a two-minute round and there's a 90-second rest just by example? Oh, and by the way, it's only scheduled for three or four rounds. I think that greatly does change the potential uh, embarrassment factor, if you will, the potential uh, injury factor, if you will. And then what if we throw him in there with somebody from his era? I mean, coincidentally, Vander is now coming back. Coincidentally, uh, Briggs. 
uh, would like to fight again, who's also, you know, uh, just north of 50 years old. I think I'm with you. I think there's something special there. Even those videos that Mike's putting out, 8 and 10 and 11 second clips of him shadow boxing or hitting mitts or, to your point, hitting the bag. I love that stuff. Those stuff's 11 seconds. I wish it was 11 minutes. I, if Mike Tyson's doing something, I'm compelled to watch. 100%. Like I said, it's an event. I just remember watching those fights when I was a young, and, you know, I think it's back in high school and it, when he was on top of the world. And even back then, you know, we, all me and all my buddies would go over to somebody's house who had HBO, I think it was on back then. <laughs> we watched the fights, and I don't remember anything else that we really gathered for back then. And that was way back one in the 80s. So, absolutely, I would, I would love to be on this side of the counter for a Mike Tyson fight, even if it did have special rules, because. The, the, the hype would be just off the charts, which I which I love the events. All right, so speaking of ferocious fighters, let me fast forward you next week. Pay-per-view, only on ESPN+, Plus, world champion, and uh, the, the without question, greatest female fighter of all time. Well, I'm talking about Amanda Nunes. She's putting the strap up against Felicia Spencer. Felicia Spencer, I would argue for you, had her greatest performance even in defeat, and that was against mm-hmm. Chris Cyborg where I think she opened everybody's eyes and shocked us to not only her skills, but her heart and her durability. Noons versus Spencer. I'm a week early on this, but I don't get to talk to you that often, Dave. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, you said it. She's the GOAT. Amanda's just incredible. I mean, uh, you know, took out Ronda, took out Cyborg, two KOs right there of, of two of the other people, that, the women that would be mentioned in the uh, GOAT conversation or debate, which I don't think it's any close to a debate anymore. It's Amanda all the way. But, yeah, Spencer, I mean, I, I, I watched that cyborg fight, and I was like, I was like, oh, my God, what's this, what's this lady going to do? That, that's a looks-can-be-deceiving thing. Because she went in there, and, you know, cyborg's all jacked, and, and, and Spencer just looked like, I, I don't know, you took her out of a PTA meeting or something. And, and <laughs> holy, holy hell, man, did she, did she battle? Did she... She impressed the hell out of me, man. I, I mean, I, I, she might, might not be the most skilled fighter out there, men or women, but she, she, I don't know if there are many people, men or women, with a bigger heart than she had. Holy mackerel, did she open my eyes in that fight. But uh, Nunes will just be too much, and I, and I think. I mean, if, if Spencer be, beats Amanda, that will be the ultimate Rocky story right there. Uh, but, you know, Nunes, she's just on another level with her striking, ground game, ground and pound. Everything. Uh, I, I don't see. I mean, the odds are reflective. Amanda's minus five fifty favorite to take back on Spencer's plus four twenty. Even to, despite the uh, high odds, the public is on Nunes, which is which is which is kind of um, you know the public in fights usually bet that dog. And you know we still have a week and a half of action yet to come in, so that that could change. And by fight night, we could we could need Amanda. But as of now. The better's on Amanda, which which tells me something too that people aren't really giving Felicia. What I do know is every parlay will be keyed on Amanda, along with O'Malley. Those those two will be keyed on like every other parlay that weekend. Yeah, oh, I fully agree. Look, there's always something special when Sean O'Malley is present. I mean, it's just a reality. He brings something. You talk, Simon Cowell likes to talk about the it factor. Sean O'Malley yep. has the it factor. He sure does. Oh man, I mean this. His look, uh, his interviews, but he backs it up in the ring. Of course, you know, he's not that tested yet. You know, we're, he's going to have a good test next weekend, which is great. Fighting Eddie, a cagey old veteran like Eddie Wyland. Um, 
But but man, that O'Malley, he he just is so dynamic and striking. Just one of those guys you he, he's going to sell a lot of tickets, man. Watch this kid over his career. And how how big did he how big did he look in his last fight? That's the thing, you know. He he just looks so much more muscular during that time off when he when he fought that last fight. He he looks huge in that last fight. I, I couldn't be believe he was made weight at that weight class, but he made it easy and he, and he looked great. He just put on a lot of muscle and. He was ready to go, and he he did his thing. And next weekend, I can't wait. I mean, I, I think that's the fight I'm looking forward to most on that card. He against Wyland. So I, I I'm really looking forward to that bout. I fully agree with you. All right, Dave, thank you for your time. You got anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, lots, but you know, I know you're quick on time. But come on over to BetOnline.ag and bet the fights and uh, all, all sorts of sign up bonuses. Get your free plays and and bet on the fights with house money at BetOnline.ag. Boom. Love it. Thanks, Dave. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care.